0: was only eight years old when I saw him, but I was one of the lucky ones. I survived. I Michael's work isn't done in Haddon Field. And soon, very soon, he'll come home to kill again. But this time I'll be ready. cult within the Halloween franchise and we are finally getting to it we are talking cult of thorn the curse is here Um, it's going to be a double of Joe Chappelle's Halloween six the curse of uh, Michael Myers the producer's cut and David Pryor's the empty man oh it's gonna get just amazing um and here with me to decipher the runes and uh to blow into the bottle is of course the host of the amazing cobwebs it is daniel lepler hey how's it going
1: this podcast does not exist (laughs) even if it does exist it cannot be heard and even if it can be heard it cannot be understood
0: oh my god i yeah we're gonna when we get into the empty man because i don't think i love this movie (laughs) i don't think i still understand it
1: Oh, yeah. I when I first started rewatching it, I typed out on my notes, what is the empty man? And then I just continued making notes under that bullet. Like I'm going to like that's my main goal for our discussion is I want to nail down what is the empty man?
0: Because I don't think I did because I was going to do it. OK, I'm going to figure out what this thing is, Um, because we'll get into my journey and how I've kind of come around on the empty man, especially ending, which, by the way it's a newer movie. We'll be spoiling the crap out of The Empty Man. So go watch it and then come back and, 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 and watch it. Um, but yeah, I was just like, okay, so what is actually this thing? What is going on? (laughs) Um, but before we get into that, uh, Daniel, how is cobwebs going? Oh, it's a blast. I I
1: mean, I think I've been having a a ball doing it over this Halloween season. Mm -hmm. Um, As you know, of course, we have been talking through the Psycho franchise, Chris Hurtado and I, with a variety of guests talking about those movies i love talking through a series with chris and anyone else who will join us like you mm. um and then every other episode we're doing is just like a big topic episode so like we did an episode programming a halloween marathon we did an episode ranking all the roger corman edgar Allan poe movies oh nice and a bunch of stuff like that yeah it's just i i've just been really really in the halloween spirit this year and uh and cop doing cobwebs has just been super fun for me
0: no, it has been. I mean, I loved the marathon episode. Uh, it's just been you and Matt and Keith get together. Um, somehow the three nicest guys podcasting just make up the bat craziest um, marathon. It's like, okay, I'm I'm with guys who understand me. So I get to say, look, I'm going to show Dark Shadows. And then I go, hang on. I don't remember hating that movie. I was the one who kind of <laughs> liked it. <laughs> I thought that was it's just me. It is. Um, yeah, it's a little bit flaws here and there, but no, it is actually really good. Yeah, it's a fun, fun movie. Um, And then Matt watched it and went, I liked it. (laughs) The cult of Dark Shadows is growing.
1: Yeah, the, I feel like the cult of two thousands Tim Burton is growing, and I give credit to Hayden Gilbert for that because I think he's kind of started that trend, and then I've been kind of trying to support and push alongside, and and the ball is rolling now. I, I'm I'm hearing from more and more people who are like, "Hang on, I watched this two thousands Tim Burton movie, and I've always thought everything after Sleepy Hollow was garbage, and no, it's not actually. There's actually some really good stuff in there."
0: No, I mean I always really I did enjoy Corpse Bride. I came, um, I finally watched, um. Oh, uh, the musical, uh, the Stephen Somheim, Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. I watched that. Actually, really enjoyed it. Uh, just yeah, all it's I really heard, good. yeah, because I heard it's not the musical, and no, it's. I don't think it is. It's something else, and it's disgusting and gross and gothic, and it's kind of what you want around this time. Yeah, I mean, yes, he has made some unforgivable, unforgivable movies, Alice in Wonderland, um, but he has still got that Burton magic creeping in there, and so. Yeah, everything after Sleepy Hollow is not garbage. And I think I'm kind of coming around on the 2000s in general. Like I was always that kind of, yeah, after the 90s, we kind of went into this weird sore phase. And it's not that. I think when you actually look back on a time, as we'll get into when we actually talk about Halloween, um, the early 90s wasn't as bad as people say, and neither was the uh, 2000s.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's just a weird thing where when a horror movie is new, people just want it to be incredible because it can be anything. Like you go see a new horror movie, this could be anything. It could be the new Exorcist or it could be total trash. And if it's not the new Exorcist, people are like, ah, it's another shitty horror movie. But when a horror movie is old and you know what to expect, uh, you kind of discover that maybe just fun, spooky vibes is enough. Maybe it doesn't have to redefine the genre, you know?
0: Exactly. Yeah, and I think hindsight is a beautiful, beautiful thing, especially when it comes to, to movies. And that's probably a good place to start actually get into Halloween 6. As I said, we are going to be talking to Producers' Cut because I ended up watching the theatrical because I some reason own the theatrical as well and um realizing that oh yeah that's because the producer's cut is the much better version so we might as well jump in to a movie that was considered one of the worst in the series and now is having its time in the sun I think probably there's a lot more people I'm probably sure Hayden Kilbert started this as well um <laughs> This I actually of, don't
1: know if he likes this movie. Actually, or not. me neither.
0: No five likes, is
1: his baby. He loves five.
0: He does love five, which is probably why I'm assuming it might go to six, but he might be just like, actually, no, five is my baby and I'm going to keep pushing five. And I'm like, I'm still not there, Hayden. Maybe I will get there one day, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to be getting into The Curse of Michael Myers. Now, as I always like to imagine, the curtains are opening. Daniel, if you're going to show a trailer for The Curse of Michael Myers, what would it? what would it be?
1: Okay, so the main mood I want to push going into this movie is not slasher movie, not Michael Myers movie. I want to push you are going into a cult movie. I don't mean a cult movie in the Anthony King way. I mean a cult movie in the a movie about a cult. Yes. And there's just and like I want to push that as hard as I can mm-hmm. and there's just no better movie to show if you want to push that idea than The Wicker Man.
0: I am here to investigate the disappearance of a young girl. Where is Rowan Morrison? If Rowan Morrison existed, we would know. I suspect murder. Sergeant, I've already... In the name of God, woman, what kind of mother are you that can stand by and see your own child slaughtered? You are the fool, Mr. Harvey. Liars. You are despicable little liars. God in heaven, even these people can't be that mad. It's one of the most perfect uh, cult movies and horror movies, and I adore this movie. So yeah, great choice.
1: <laughs> so Nicholas Cage. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 1973. <laughs> 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 yeah. We're talking. No, we're talking Edward Woodward. We're talking Christopher Lee. We're mm-hmm. talking Britt Eklund. Um, yeah, this is just a great movie. I was actually just re-watching it um just before we hopped on, just to mm. kind of get in that mood. And uh it, the Wicker Man is a musical and the songs are bops, they're really good. Um, and mm-hmm. it's just like it's m- one of the best movies, at least, about the transition from more traditional society to the hippies um and it's about the push and pull between the hippie culture and traditional christian culture um and especially paganism when it comes to this movie and it's yeah it's a great movie the actors are incredible just great great acting all the way around and i love the music so it's a it's a great movie for sure
0: No, I love the fact that it's uh, a musical because this is a movie that has also gone through multiple cuts because people were like, a horror musical? No. But when you realize that it actually is a musical and they are constantly singing, much like Hippies did, if I (laughs) remember correctly from things I've seen. I'm not that old. Um, But no, it is a great movie. Uh, Christopher Lee is absolutely phenomenal as Lord Somerton. I think he even said it's one of his favorite performances because he just gets to go in so many modes and just lets it go absolutely loose. But it is very much about yeah, the counterculture, hippie culture with the more traditional, kind of upstanding, more Christian um valued society and what happens with those two butt heads. And what I always love it, love about this movie is they do give um Woodward uh the who plays the Constable a chance to leave. They constantly do it. And then it gets to a point I'm like, well, you know, you're not leaving you've proven yourself to be exactly what we need. We've thrown every test at you. It's, so it is kind of that Christian parable of the martyr as well, um, just in a more twist. Well, uh, me in a twisted way, um, depending how you look at it. But yeah, it's it's an amazing movie. And that ending is still gut punch. I've been lucky enough to see this on a big screen and just to feel the air go out of the room when that, that final image or the what you realize what is happening um, in this movie, It is it is glorious.
1: Yeah, and I I feel a little differently about it now. But when I first watched it, I was like, okay, like, it's, you know, kind of interesting. It's kind of slow, like I'm just going along with it, not quite sure Mm. why it's so iconic. And then when it got to the ending, I was like, Oh, my God, like, and I knew this ending was coming, but it still hit me so hard. Uh, but now I just love the vibe of the whole movie all the way through.
0: Oh, it is! It's a great creepy town movie, and it's kind of a creepy town. Yeah. I'd kind of want to hang out. In. <laughs> just be, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a lot of fun. It's just a lot of singing and bagpipes and um, running around uh, singing about penises with a maypole. It's it's amazing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a lot of the best cult movies make you think, like, okay, this is scary. But I kind of want to go there, like yes. this one and Midsummer kind of do that. I think.
0: Yeah, there's way a cult t- movie turns me off when I'm like, as soon as I see a group of people running towards you singing, which kind of happens in The Empty Man. I'm like, no, 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 this is not, this is not good. Uh, split <laughs> Screen does an amazing thing where you're just looking at this cr- really happy crowd and you're just like going, absolutely not. This is the thing. What I would just turn around and walk, but um, Midsummer and Wicked Man. I'm like, no, no, this is a community that I could kind of see myself being drawn into. I also really wanted to set the mood with, with this. And um, though I went with a witch movie instead, I wasn't sure which movie I was going to show it for, but I think I'm going to show it for um, Curse. And that is of course, Mario Barber's Black Sunday from
1: 1960.
0: Horror, anguish, and terror are powerful words. But more than words, the chill language of living images shows that the mask of Satan is a picture of unparalleled emotion. It tells a tale of a strange, dark fascination set in a spine-chilling atmosphere of fear. Demon. It's death. I've just seen death. She's breathing. We're in the presence of some unnatural mystery. It's just an amazingly gorgeous gothic witch movie. Uh, You've done an episode on this yourself, I remember, with Chris. Um, And yeah, I I love this movie.
1: Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, It particularly is one of those Italian horror movies, and there are a few Uh, that have this mind-blowing incredible opening and closing and then it's a little slow in the middle for me Hmm. uh, but it still has um, like the scene where Barbara Steele first comes back from the dead and that scene is incredible too Uh, definitely if you just want to watch cool witchy witch-burning cult devil stuff like it's it's one of the best movies atmospherically for that for sure and uh, and it's Barbara Steele's most iconic performance and I love Barbara Steele. It's always amazing when she shows up in a movie.
0: Yeah, to be fair, this is a lot of Barbara Steele and a few other people wandering around a big old castle, um which I actually kind of enjoy especially cuz mainly it's Barbara Steele. But yeah, that opening and that closing and Barbara Steele kind of coming up from the from the thing is absolutely incredible and Barbara's such because he was also he started off as a cinematographer I think so all his movies just look absolutely gorgeous I mean this man knew how to use black and white as much as he knew how to use color so um it is yeah this I think it kind of sets a very kind of witchy kind of vibe which is what I have grown to love about Halloween 6 so yeah uh what is going to be your second trailer
1: so my second trailer is not a trailer technically uh what we are going to watch is episode two of over the garden wall which is called hard times at the huskin Bee. have you ever seen over the garden wall Pardon me there, say you folks ought to don your vegetables and celebrate the harvest with us. Uh... Oh, you're wearing costumes. Well, sure. Pumpkins can't move on their own, can they?
0: (laughs) no. Yeah, no.
1: Good thing I didn't take this off. You guys find this place as creepy as I do, right? So, it's some kind of weird cult where they wear vegetable costumes and dance around a big thing. They seem nice enough. you're in denial that's fine but i'm just saying (laughs) something feels off about this place
0: no i haven't
1: so i love this it is a uh animated mini series that aired on cartoon network and each episode is about 10 minutes long Uh, this particular episode we're going to watch is 11 minutes long Mm. Uh, and what it's about is it's a it's cartoon and it's about two little boys who are lost in the woods and they are traveling along trying to find their way home and they encounter various kooky characters and misadventures along the way mm. and episode two uh and i just re-watched it right before this i think you can comfortably watch it alone mm. without seeing the rest of it and it is about these two little boys coming upon a town and it is run by is inhabited by a cult of people who wear pumpkins on their heads yeah uh, and they wear pumpkins on their bodies and like hay on their arms and so it's just all these walking pumpkins around uh they dance around a maypole looking thing much like in The Wicker Man. And it's some of just the greatest Halloween-y autumn vibes that I've just ever seen on screen. And it's probably my favorite episode of this series, although every episode is really good. Um, just some of the best autumn vibes you can ever get is in this little cartoon short series. And uh, and it just, again, like it's autumn-y, it's Halloween-y, it's got a cult. Uh, it's really, really good.
0: This looks actually amazing. I think I have I heard of it now. I've sort of seen some of the images, but I've never had a chance to watch it. So, this is going on the list because you're right. It's got that amazing, like, just fairy tale forest imagery going on, and it looks amazing.
1: Yeah. And I, when I first watched it, I just watched it in one sitting. Like, if you watch it straight on through, it'll take you about an hour and a half. Mm. Uh, but you can just pop in and out of it as you please. Like I said, every episode, only about 10 minutes long. So, it's like this collection of little autumnal short stories that are really fun
0: oh that is awesome and absolutely perfect for for halloween that is that is amazing um i love i really do love that idea sorry i'm getting distracted by the by the images um (laughs) okay my okay so my second trailer i am going well i love how the halloween six kind of turns into as much as it is a cult it kind of turns into this haunted house because it really leans into the fact that michael myers is is obsessed with the house as he is as much as a cult thing um so i am going to go for toby hooper's poltergeist from 1982.
1: you woke up and you said you're here here. Uh uh-huh well who did you mean? who's here tv
0: people something's funny going on here next door something uh
1: we were wondering if maybe you had experienced any disturbances lately What, what kind of disturbances i don't know what happens over this house
0: um Yeah, and again, another kind of heavy hitter. I, I guess my ones are going to be the heavy, uh, my trailers are heavy hitters, but it's, it's such a great movie and it sort of captures this um functional family because when we get into Halloween 6, this is not a functional family at all. But it is, I love all the performances. It's got this cozy, again, Halloween feel. But then Toby Hoop is going to give you the clown and the skeletons in the pool and Whatever is taking Carol Ann. And and um, yeah, it, it's a classic for a reason. But yeah, it's uh, you—you didn't—you didn't take the bodies out is one of my favorite lines. You just took the oh, headstones. So good.
1: <laughs> yeah, this movie is very important to me because when mm. I was a kid, I was terrified of pretty much all horror. I could handle like Universal monsters and Vincent Price and mm. stuff like that, but anything else was way too scary. Like I remember seeing um, little little commercials on amc for like halloween four and five and being <laughs> terrified by them and and my dad one time told me about just told me about the silence of the lambs oh god uh, and yeah. i was terrified of cannibals for years <laughs> like cannibals was my number one fear <laughs> um and then he was trying to get me because my dad was always trying to get me to watch horror movies that i was too scared to watch mm. uh and he was trying to get me to watch poltergeist with him and i wouldn't do it And he told me about it. And that night I was terrified of poltergeist and I was terrified of my closet because I was afraid like ghosts would come out of it because he told me all about the closet stuff. And the next day he's like, okay, just watch the beginning and see what you think. So I'm like, okay. And the end credit, the beginning credits start and it says either written or produced by Steven Spielberg. Mm. And I was like, Oh, I know Steven Spielberg. Like I love his movies. Maybe this will be okay. Mm. So I sat and watched the whole thing and I loved it. And ever since then, I have loved horror. And I've, while the occasional movie has scared me since then, I've never been like scared by horror like I was before then. Ever since then, it's just been something that brings me joy more than it brings me fear. Uh, So Poltergeist is very important to me. Right now, uh, there are a lot of other Toby Hooper movies that I like better, maybe just because I've come to love him Mm. and his personal stamp is a little bit more on some of the other movies um, that are a little bit more from his brain rather than a collabor- more of a collaboration between him and Steven Spielberg. Yeah. But uh, it's, a, it's a perfectly made movie, you know? It's brilliantly directed by Hooper. It's a great script by Spielberg. It's a terrific cl- collaboration between the two of them. It's really good.
0: It is. It kind of brings the best of both worlds. Um, it's got that kind of, I mean... I didn't see Poltergeist too late. I mean, I like you, I was terrified of horror. So as soon as I saw Carol Ann touch the TV and go, they're here, I was like, oh, absolutely not. No way. Um, and that was all that I needed just to know that this movie was going to terrify me. And then I finally, when I got into Toby Hooper is when I finally watched it. And I think it does bring the best of both people in terms of Hooper and, and Spielberg. Spielberg kind of nudges you in thinking, oh, this is going to be Amblin. It's going to be safe. And then, because there are certain moments that Hooper directs like a pro, because he always did, that's when you get, oh, I'm not safe. This is not a safe house to be in. It's not quite like Gremlins when, even though they will kill you and will kill you horribly, you never, I never felt unsafe with Gremlins. But even as an adult, I'm watching Poltergeist going, oh, this would have absolutely terrified, terrified me. I would have that guy pulling his skin off in the mirror. I would just no, 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 nope. nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> now i'm like yes yes please <laughs> i
1: love that scene that scene is like when a little extra every time it gets like extra scary you feel like that's where hooper really got to let loose you know yeah With the face peeling and and how intense and crazy it gets by the third act and when uh I believe Craig T. Robinson is the one who's in the pool and all the skeleton bodies are popping up. It feels a lot like Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
0: It does, because Toby Hooper was the master of, oh, you think this is the scariest part? No, no, no. I'm just going to add this one little bit extra.
1: Yeah. One little bit yeah, extra. He builds really he's, well. He's
0: really good at building. And this is what Poltergeist does until, I mean, you think the movie's over before you get to the pool scene. It's like, oh, no, this house has been cleansed. It's Everything's okay. we're gonna, we've got Carol Ann back. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, 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 (laughs) there is is more happening.
1: And this movie really created the haunted house genre and what it would become later. Cause there are a lot of great haunted house movies before Poltergeist, but they're very different. And this is the movie that really established that haunted house movies are about families and families like bringing in some kind of exorcist or whatever to like get the ghost out. Like William Castle's 13 ghosts is kind of like that. Uh, but this is really the movie that creates like Insidious and The Conjuring. Absolutely. That's the stuff that like really dominated horror for the 2010s. And it really all stems from Poltergeist.
0: It really does. And Halloween Six does have that kind of connection because I can't even remember where I heard it, where I read it. So I'm sorry, but they were still talking about how. Um, the ghost, movie, haunted house movies were much more about the economics. Families just couldn't pick up and move. Once you bought a house, you were there, and yes, you I own a house. Say
1: all the time, like, why don't they move? And I'm like, could you just move right now if now. you wanted to? No,
0: even if you don't own a house and renting, you just can't pick up and move. It's expensive and really expensive. Really expensive, expensive in this market. Yeah, this economy, no way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and. So, yeah, it really kind of leans on that. I mean, and the Pulf does this as well because um Craig T. Nelson is one of the developers of this new suburb where they did not they only move the, the headstones. And yeah, you get this, and you that is an absolute pop point in Halloween 6, which we will get into <laughs> right now.
1: Every legend is based
0: on fact. Every myth is grounded in truth. For 17 years, the town of Haddonfield, Illinois has been haunted
1: by a night when evil roamed the streets
0: and a madman ruled the night. Everyone knows his name. Now, Everyone will know the truth. I knew what he was, but I never knew why.
1: Halloween 6, the origin of Michael Myers.
0: Yeah, did you see the producer's cut first or was it the theatrical for you?
1: Oh boy, no, I saw the theatrical. So it was a few years back when I was really starting to get into horror. Actually, I really started diving into like 80s horror around the time that I discovered F this movie. So shout out Patrick Bromley. He really me guided me through mm. the 80s, 90s horror. Thank um, you, Patrick. And uh, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I was, re- I was going through the Halloween series and I came across Six and I didn't hate Six. I saw the theatrical cut, didn't hate it, didn't think it was very good but one of the things I really appreciate about it is Michael's mask didn't look like garbage this time. And I was like, Hey, his mask looks good again. They figured it out. That's cool. Um, but I, I remember I didn't like like how blue it was. I remember the color grading was really blue and shiny and not, not that John Carpenter look at all. Um, and I just, I just thought it wasn't very good. I remember the death of Jamie was really exploitative and the ending was terrible. Um, and then for years, I always thought I had also seen the producer's cut. Like anytime mm. people talk about producer's cut, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah I've seen that. Uh, but it wasn't until last fall, I saw Halloween Kills. And I don't want to harp on it, but I didn't like it very much. And I was disappointed that I didn't get a Halloween, a new Halloween movie to love that year, like mm. a lot of other people did. But I popped in my Blu-ray of Halloween, Curse Michael Myers, producer's cut, just to give it a rewatch and i realized oh i've never seen this like this is so much different than the halloween 6 that i remember and i realized i'd only ever seen the theatrical and i was so excited because in 2021 i did get a new halloween movie to love it wasn't halloween kills but it was the producer's cut that i thought i had seen but i had not
0: um this is kind of similar to my thing with halloween 6 before we get in, um but generally where did you start with halloween i keep forgetting to ask the earlier ones (laughs) people but now i'm suddenly remembering um did you see the original first or was it just something always in the air because halloween because of when it's set has always been associated with october and halloween i saw
1: the original first but it wasn't a great experience i saw it because my dad showed it to me it was around the time when i was like Thirteen, mm. uh, when he was starting to show me like all the 80s action movies. And that was a great time. But he also showed me Halloween and neither of us liked it. Like he didn't like it near as much as he remembered liking it when he was young. And I didn't like it very much. We Our, our take on it was it was kind of boring and it was really cliche. And like mm. maybe it was revolutionary. It's time, but by now it's just dumb and cliche. Uh, so it wasn't until I came back like years later when I was like, okay, let me watch the Halloween movies. Then I gave it a rewatch and I appreciated it much more for what it is and its place in history. And now it's like one of the most rewatchable movies ever made for me. Like I've seen Halloween many times. It almost feels like I love it more every time I see it. It's one of my favorite movies now, but I did have kind of a lackluster uh, first introduction to it for sure.
0: Oh, this was me as well. I first watched it after I saw Scream, which... Oh, was yeah okay, kind of I'm sixteen. Don't think I like Kara. saw scream went, oh my God, what the hell is this? i I love it and went back and went, oh, what is this Halloween that they were referencing. Washington went oh, that was, yeah, again, a little I thought it was kind of boring because I'm freaking sixteen. Oh, 17. um I didn't particularly yeah like love it. I could see, yeah, I could see how it's revolutionary at the time, but it's not it's not scream and then it was um like you if this movie in Patrick Brom- Bromley got me back into um 80 kind of guided me through 80s horror and a lot more of 90s horror that i kind of missed and um i do remember the, oh yeah i do actually Halloween's really good and for Halloween 6 it wasn't until him and mike did cuz Halloween series was one of their first franchise series they do every october um and I they went through it and they talked about sex, but I'm gonna go finally watch these movies. And I do remember them not liking sex. I think because they just watched a whole bunch in like a week, and I think it hurt their brain. And
1: yeah, those franchise (laughs) episodes are always rough because they binge (laughs) through them so fast, and then they're like, "This franchise sucks." And then years (laughs) later, they're like, "Oh, I like most of these movies." What were we thinking?
0: What were we thinking? Um, And Halloween Six, you could tell going. Oh god! I mean, I don't think even Patrick liked um, the Rob Zombie Halloween movies, um, except for me, he was w- warming on two, but he really didn't like one. Um, it's always fascinating to sort of see how it goes. No, I love these movies. What was I thinking? Um, and they were really yeah. going bitching about sex. And I can see why, because it is a, yeah, it's very blue. When I watched it yesterday, it they completely almost talk about the Halloween score. Um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. It's very, this kind of hard rock, Um, kind of score. It's, yeah, as you said, very blue, very Dimension. Um, We'll get more... Dimension's going to be coming up in the series as well, by the way, but this is kind of, um, you know, that kind of... It feels like even though it was made in 95, it feels like it was made in 1992. And which makes sense because poor Rudd's just like the sentient being who doesn't age. But it is... um, (laughs) (laughs) It is this kind of weird thing. And you're watching it, I'm like really is that how you're gonna end donald pleasance's run on halloween just have him scream as the movie ends what are you doing i
1: remember that i was so disappointed with the ending
0: yeah and it was just kind of like i i don't understand like i liked the weirdness because the theatrical literally does not make sense you do not know why things are happening why cult of thought is even a thing you don't kind of understand it and then um i ended up buying it on dvd and then but it was the producer's cut i said, oh yeah I don't know I don't think I've seen and then I kind of watched it and went hang on this is not the movie I remember because it is really different and you're just watching it going hang on a minute hang oh shit this is the producer's cut I'm like oh no this is a great movie because it's much more witchy it's much more about the cult it's actually explaining the cult I mean Paul Rudd's um, runes monologue he does halfway through isn't just forgotten about because um, the Weinsteins think witches are dumb and they don't want to do it, um, or whatever, I'm, whatever. You can tell the Weinstein scissors has been applied to the theatrical, and then when you watch the producer's cut, you're like, oh, this is what, okay, this makes much more sense in Cult of Thorn Rules.
1: <laughs> I just heard you say the phrase, this is a great movie, and I'm so excited, because <laughs> I have no idea, I had no idea how you felt about this. This is very exciting.
0: Oh, no, it took me a bit to warm up to it. I was like, yeah, yeah, and then, because now I just love anything witchy. I'm like, yeah, this movie leans into the witchiness absolutely. I mean, there are people tied to altars. It's much more disturbing because when um you realize Michael and poor poor Jamie, um, yeah, it is. It's just much more fun, and I had such a fun time watching it this time around. It was I was just. Everything about this movie made me smile more than I thought ever it, it thought I ever Halloween Six could make me smile and I think it's just because I'm like yeah they're just leaning into the insanity they're just pulling everything from and I will complain always that Halloween Kills tries to have its cake and eat it too like it wants to have it both ways and Halloween 6 does that but in a way that I enjoy like it's pulling yeah. Because there's there's no pretense of, oh, Michael Myers is just some random killer. No, he is this mythical cult controlled, doesn't, is going to always murder his family. There's something to do with the Strodes and the Myerses and they're always connected and we're just leaning into it.
1: Yeah, because the the thing is, like, I know a lot of people really don't like, making michael myers explicitly supernatural yes uh they don't like that he's associated with any cult blah 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 because it's not at all in line with john carpenter's original vision no and it's not i get that but i would argue you can only have him get back up so many times (laughs) before you need to give some kind of explanation and i like horror franchises that take the story forward um, like, I mean, I, you know, I can enjoy a movie that's just another movie where the masked killer just goes around and kills more hmm. people for no reason. That that can be fun, sure. But I prefer horror franchises to have like a trajectory and go somewhere and make some choices. And I think that's one of the reasons I enjoyed this movie so much last year because I just seen Halloween Kills and I just kind of felt like Halloween Kills makes no choices it, it makes no decisions it just has Michael be supernatural, but has nothing to say about it and has no explanation and has no story. Um, but this movie's like, yeah, Michael's supernatural, and here's why, and here's a plot, and here's reasons, and we're making choices as filmmakers, as storytellers. And I was like, well, thank God somebody did that. <laughs> I know that sounds like faint praise to say, like, oh, it's a plot and they made decisions, but. I don't know, like that's, I appreciate that about this movie because there are a lot of other Halloween movies that don't do that.
0: Yes, and you do realize we are coming off five, which is a movie that is making no choices whatsoever except for Michael's driving around in the car a lot and likes to go whitewater rafting. Um, yeah, Tina was a choice. Tina was okay. Yeah, Tina was <laughs> definitely a choice. Sorry, Hayden. You, and you, Hayden, you will get to defend, and Mikey will get the Mikey will get to defend Halloween Kills. Um, but it is, it, yeah, it's it's kind of revving up. It's kind of doing that typical thing that horror does all the time. It's reinventing it. This is uh, six years after the last Halloween movie. Dimension have got a hold of it, and of course, Dimension's always going to Dimension. So they're going to go, okay, what can we do that's new and fresh? And yeah, and still, but they still think of, okay, we've got all this backstory with all this weird timeline with Michael. Why don't we just lean into it? And yeah, I can see it not working for some people because they want Michael to be this embodiment of evil, which yes, Donald Pleasant's, you know, um, I saw this eyes, the eyes of a child, black eyes, the devil's eyes, which is one of the greatest speeches delivered on screen. It's right up there with... Um, jaws when he's talking about the shark's doll's eyes like it's right up right up there and for sure but that is and that is one version of michael you can have but because michael is Myers is the shape you could totally have him as a conduit of a cult that is controlled by runes and have him go out and kill in this house every halloween because it brings back some sort of um Demon. Actually, I'm not in quite entirely, like the empty man. I'm not entirely sure what the end of Cobblethorn game plan is. They just want to keep this thing going. I think. Um, oh, the end
1: is of the end of the producer's cut is bananas, and I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs>
0: it's like okay. So what is okay? So yeah, I get it's got all these things I know and I'm very familiar with. And I love, especially Dr. Wynn sitting at a Cape in his office, just like telling the Donald his plan. I'm like, Oh, I'm that is still not a plan, but I love the fact that you're, you're just wearing your Cape. That's amazing. That's a boss move. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a power play. If ever I've ever seen it, but yeah, it's this kind of cool thing. And, but at the end of the day, I don't really care what that plan is. I I enjoy the theatrics of it all. And yeah, they're making a hard choice and they're leaning into something which I really appreciate and I just really have fun with. It's allowing itself to be bonkers and weird as well as being, giving you still the Michael Myers, just killing, uh, killing everyone with a knife. I mean, he's pretty brutal in this movie.
1: I'm gonna make a declaration and I wanna know what you think about it. Mm-hmm. My declaration is this is a good sequel to Halloween five, but it is a great spiritual sequel to Halloween three.
0: I could not stop, yes. I could not stop thinking about Halloween three when I was yes. watching this. And I think it's because how much I love Halloween three is, as why I am now kind of falling in love with Halloween six. They took all that weird ass drew Irish druids, stealing, working with robots and magic sacrificing children. And then they put it into this movie. Okay. If we put Michael Myers with that, with um you know three more days to halloween i've still since i've seen that movie i've had that jingle stuck in my head um and yeah it is it is that and i i just i'm like yes i love it
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's the only halloween movie that feels to me like it brings together the michael myers storyline and halloween three because i'll be honest I don't think Michael Myers is near the top of the list of things that are good about this movie. Like, I don't care that much about Michael in this movie. The fact that he's in it and he's killing people, is kind of just nice icing on the cake. I really enjoy this as a witchy, cult, autumnal Halloween movie. Because I think like the autumn Halloween vibes are some of the best in the whole series, in the producer's cut. Because mm. in the producer's cut, the color grading is very warm. It has, it feels a lot like, it feels like Haddonfield from the original movie more than some of the other sequels do. Yes. Uh, but even more autumn because they're not filming in the summer. You mm. get the orange trees, you get the leaves. And this is the only Halloween movie, I think, that has like an actual Halloween festival. And I love that whole sequence.
0: I love that whole sequence as well. And they really kind of lean on it in the producer's cut. I think they've just added more stuff into it because the whole point is that um, I didn't write down her name. The girlfriend of the brother, wants to bring back Halloween back to um, Haddonfield because they just haven't had Halloween. Michael kind of ruined it for everyone, as he always does. Um, So, yeah, this is not necessarily... It's more about Halloween than it is about Michael. Michael is just kind of this product of the thing. Um, But this is more about, okay, so what is Halloween? I mean, they keep hinting at that throughout the series. Um, Like in 2, they mention Sanheim. Um and three is all about you know the druids and the witchcraft and the and you know what actually Halloween is. Um it's not you know children stuffing their greedily candy, it's it's this other more spiritual thing. And this one kind of takes it back. And hell and Michael's just a byproduct. Uh, Yeah. I I just like the fact that his masks look okay. As much as I like really love four, I'm like, oh like four, I'm like, I oh that mask is so shit. Um and they kind of okay. They've corrected it. They've done a little bit of job with this, but yeah, I that is absolutely what this movie is. It's so witchy. I mean, this is a movie that is ridiculous ridiculous in some ways, and is fun because you have to get actors saying certain things very seriously. But I enjoy that because I like Doctor Loomis, sort of going, "Oh well, he's back, so he's going my my thing mode." I love like Doctor Wen because he's very kind of in the background until he isn't. I love paul rudd i love um uh cara play it i think it's by um marianne uh hagan um and it's yeah it's just a whole bunch of fun i mean it's got everything it's got creepy old woman it's got cults it's got ruins it's got a goth boy um in it who decides he's gonna raise a baby i, I mean it's got everything
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you said it well that this movie is much more about the holiday of halloween Mm. than it is about michael um so i could i could see some people saying okay maybe this movie would be okay if michael isn't in it but i don't necessarily but i don't think it's bad that michael is in it because i think it's a better continuation of michael's story than a lot of other movies are because like i've said like You can really only have him get up so many times before you need to give some kind of explanation. Now, with Freddy Krueger, he's inherently supernatural, so you don't need that. Mm. With Jason, they do actually kill Jason off, and then he skips a movie, and then he comes back to life Frankenstein-style as a zombie. So Yes, he does. It works with Jason, too. At this point, they've never given any kind of explanation with Michael. At, At this point, canonically, he's just a guy Who keeps not dying no matter how many times you shoot him? And this is the movie that finally (laughs) or burn him. And this (laughs) is the movie that finally takes a stance of Hmm. he's keeps getting back up because he's a supernatural entity created by a cult. And maybe that's not the best explanation they could have gone with, but they went with an explanation. And I think it works. And I think the movie is very entertaining.
0: Yeah, they took it. Yeah, I do agree that they took a stance because if you're gonna keep the franchise going, which they always are because that's the world we live in you're going to have to take a decision of why does this guy keep coming up we've had dr loomis from the get-go saying this man is pure evil okay so what is this pure evil if you're going to keep the movie if you're going to keep the franchise going and i want the franchise going because i generally like halloween movies even if it's a bad one i'm still going to go see the next one yeah you have to kind of go why is he going keep why does he keep getting up this man should have died so many times before there has to be a reason and like every other great monster it's supernatural it you can't the human being as matter how evil they are like you mentioned um Sons of the Lambs uh Hannibal kind of turned superhero toward the end um it, I mean Buffalo Bill was just a human so he could get taken out but when you go over to Hannibal Lecter he kind of becomes weirdly superhuman it, it's kind of that whole thing of like you take the strength of the people you eat kind of thing and it kind of just as <laughs> it running under like or just making Ray Leo to eat his brain you just like oh no they just they can't take this guy out because he's part of a franchise and he's never going to go away so he's going to come back in these different forms so it has to kind of have a explanation i think now we're a little bit easy with the we're a little bit better with the reboot so we're okay with okay so they're rebooting this character from the beginning okay back in 95 i don't think you could quite do that so yeah you needed to have something
1: yeah and i prefer this i prefer this way of like taking the story forward even if the way you take it forward is crazy or some might even say stupid I would prefer a story to move forward rather than just kind of start over. That's one of the reasons that the Child's Play franchise is one of my favorites. Is I love its commitment to always moving forward and never going back. You know, and
0: never forgetting what happened. Except for one remake. Yes, uh, except for one remake, which is the reboot. But yeah, Child's Play always moves forward, but it does never. It never forgets its its past. It's like yes, um, Cobra Kai series. Oh yeah, we are not forgetting. The weird thing that happened in part three or whatever we're bringing everything back um everything's gonna everything's part of the canon and i i yeah people can say it's done but i kind of like it when it gets so bloated that you're just like yeah it's 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 true it's i i am fully on board with this i am fully on board with characters waking up tied to a freaking altar like they're in the satanic panic or rosemary's baby i am fully on board for this
1: I will just say in, in the interest of like not pretending this movie is perfect. Michael standing around a cult ceremony looks kind of silly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dr. Wynn delivery exposition, even though I love the image, Dr. Wynn sitting on a desk with his cape, just fully thinged is kind of, is a very silly image. And yeah, it is. Michael Myers just sort of hanging out and even the whole, um, the runes kind of controlling him and he's in, he's, he, he's trying to strangle Paul right at the end and um R- poor rune uh, has uh, rudd has figured out the ruse because he got the right cd rom uh, well this is 95 so there may have actually been early internet because i keep thinking this is 1992 i'm like what he just had a cd rom of just like ancient ruins but he does this <laughs> um but yeah it is very very dopey it is they do not take michael myers that seriously Um, and you can tell I mean in other movies following this it's back to taking Michael Myers seriously they don't in this movie and I'm okay with it but yeah you which is why I think a lot of people kind of reject this movie because it's like you meant to take him seriously and this movie does not I mean he's just hanging around a whole bunch of people in capes just like standing there like hey how's it going (laughs)
1: But I will argue, I think the actors pretty much do take it seriously. Mm. And I've said many times before, that's how I prefer my silly mm. horror to be. I prefer for at least the actors to like, you know, take it seriously, give a performance. That's what Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee do. That's what Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs do. They take, you know, movies that could be silly and really give an effort to create characters and give a performance. And uh, And I do think the actors in this movie are doing that. Um, which is ultimately why I will always appreciate this movie more than H2O, which is more like even though I think Jamie Lee Curtis is great in H2O, there are a lot of actors that are like, all right, this is kind of silly. Like Scream kind of made fun of us, so we're gonna kind of make fun of ourselves too. And I will always prefer a story to mostly take itself seriously rather than kind of poke fun at itself.
0: It, it, true. And saying that, um, we might as well get into the um characters because this has one actor who was being introduced um to the world um and is now one of the oh he is probably actually now I would say Paul Rudd is a movie star. What do you think of his performance? Yeah, yeah. What do you think of um Paul Rudd's performance in this? Because he is actually very serious in this movie.
1: okay so i think the main reason that paul rudd seems kind of silly in this movie is just because he's paul rudd and we know him so (laughs) well now like we know him so well especially from the fact that not only is he in everything but he's pretty much always the same in everything Mm. um so when we see him here kind of trying to be creepy and a little bit ptsd um it's almost like watching your friend in like a play and you're like, all right, like he's, he's giving an effort, but he's still my friend and I can kind of poke fun at him or something. I think if you put all that out of your head, I don't think it's actually a bad performance. Like, I don't think it's Keanu Reeves and Dracula.
0: No, I think it's better. Yeah. A performance I love, but I realize that he is, um, He is trying to hit above his weight in that movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he was, as you can read, if you read him making that movie, he was exhausted making that movie. He'd made like three movies in a row. Mm. Like he was overworked. But but Paul Rudd, I like this version of Tommy Doyle. I prefer it to Anthony Michael Hall in Halloween Kills um, because it feels more real to me that he's just like kind of grew up to be kind of a weirdo and kind, but like not a super crazy psychotic weirdo like he is in Halloween Kills, but just kind of a weirdo, a little bit creepy kind of obsessed kind of true crime obsessed with the serial killer that almost killed him when he was a kid um but not obsessed to a degree where he goes to a bar and like recounts the tale every year for 40 years just like follows it and is into it and listens to a radio show about it Mm. i i think he's like he grew up to be weird but not unrealistically weird and um I don't know. It's kind of fun that this movie exists, that we get creepy Paul Rudd, you know, that he's not clueless in every movie. Like, here's this little weird Paul Rudd and you can go see it. I just think it's fun.
0: It is. And I think it does. Like, I remember the first time I saw Hot Wet American Summer because I saw it way after that movie came out. I was like, holy shit. Well, everyone's in that movie. So that's kind of like a barrage of like, oh my God, everyone is going to be famous in like seven uh, in 10 years. Oh, yeah. um, it's a, But Paul Rudd kind of sticks out in that. Because I'm like, oh, this is what he's going to do for the rest of his career. This is this is it. This is kind of like the birth of, of Paul Rudd. Um, even though I, I had always, he's a guy from Clueless. Um, but that was kind of like, oh, this is where the impetus was for him to be what he did for the, what he's doing now. Um, but when you watch Halloween, it's kind of interesting to sort of see how he's developed as an actor because He's very I think he's very young in this. He is um he's taking it very seriously. Like this is a movie role. I'm gonna take it seriously. I'm gonna be this kind of weird off kilter kid who um who is going to try and protect all the children at Halloween because I know what that is like because Michael Myers came after me. Um I kind of like Anthony Michael Hall in Halloween Kills. Because the casting works the same way. I know what he was like as a teenager. I'm like, actually, yeah, I can kind of see the teenager from um, the Breakfast Club kind of turning into this creature. Yes, it's insane, but I think the casting kind of works in a similar way of reverse. But yeah, I, I generally do enjoy it because it is a weird capsule of a. Huh. This is weird. This is weird, Paul Rudd. This is not. Um, this is not the cl- even the clueless Paul Rudd. He would go and be in like the next year. <laughs>
1: yeah because his strength is being funny and charming yes and that's why he became a star and he's not being funny and charming in this movie so he's not playing to his strengths and i admit that so he's Hmm. not like great in the movie but i think he's plenty good enough and i just i think it's a fun little anomaly in film history and uh and i enjoy it i like him in the movie
0: yeah me too um because you can tell right away that he's got that presence that he's got that Oh, I can't, I, I can't really take my eyes off him. I'm not sure what he's, this, I'm not, I don't think it's a great, I think it's a good performance. I don't think it's great, um, I agree. but I can't stop watching you. You've got that movie star kind of quality um, where I am just watching you. And again, that has a lot to do with the fact that I know where his career goes. Um, but I think he had that innate. Yeah. He's good at being funny and charming and he's not yeah. that he's that kind of weird guy that if you walk in and see your kid, sitting next to him and says oh i know he knows all about dinosaurs i'm gonna go that's nice we're going now it's he's not he's got that kind of uncomfortable feeling around him as well it's like why do you have a baby you you have no place in looking after a baby at all (laughs) this is not something (laughs) you should be doing
1: (laughs) isn't it crazy that like it seems like uh oh gosh jamie jamie lloyd it seems like jamie lloyd like left that baby in there for a little while and no one found that baby until he walked in that was when the baby finally started crying
0: quietest bus depot i've ever seen it's like which is a halloween tradition i mean quietest hospital yes into quietest (laughs) bus depot i'm just like there. even in a small town there's got to be more people in this bus depot and that baby would have been crying for a long time no one heard it
1: yeah it's uh that's not one of the more plausible moments of the film I will admit
0: (laughs) yeah someone would have found that baby beforehand um though speaking of Jamie Lloyd I really okay I've never been a big fan of killing off a character who survived the last movie I think it's just mean-spirited for the sake of mean-spiritedness especially what you find out Jamie has gone through in part six, you're like, oh no. Um, I mean, it's gratuitous in in the theatrical, but it's worth. like, it's not actually that much better in the the, um, producer's cut, but it does flesh out a lot more. Um, And I kind of like the fact that she does survive somewhat until halfway through the movie. Yes, she's in a coma, but because you get her flashbacks, you kind of see what she's gone through, what she went through to save her baby, and kind of what she sacrificed a little bit more instead of just like dying in like a farm t- uh, wheat thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, let me ask, like I my memory of her death in the theatrical cut is they actually graphically show her stabbed by a giant farm truck tool thing yes and in the producer's cut you don't actually see that
0: no you get the hint that it's happening but no it's very right. graphic and there's this moment we think oh michael's gonna reach out to her to maybe save her because he's changed his mind nope he's pushing it down and he's turning it on it is oh
1: yeah i remember that now
0: yeah it's a brutal brutal death it kind of is a book it's a just a, a bookends of hatefulness of how J- jamie dies and how will you hear donald Pleasant die um in the end of it and you're just like oh that that sucks plus i've gone through six movies with donald pleasance that's how you're gonna end it because i know he died before production finished um i mean watching this you can tell this is not a well man um but they do give him a little bit of honor a little bit of strength even if the ending is fucked up
1: (laughs) yeah and my thing my thing about jamie dying i don't love it but I am okay with it because Jamie has been a tragic character ever since she was first introduced. Mm. Um, she's always been, lived a sad, tragic life, especially in five, and she doesn't seem like the character that's destined for a happy ending. No, um, she's not like Nancy Thompson in, in Nightmare in Elm Street, uh, who was a happy person before she encountered the monster. Like mm. Jamie Lloyd has always had a tragic life, so I don't think it's necessarily a betrayal. To kill her off i'm not saying i love it but i don't really have a big problem with it i'm Mm -hmm. okay with it
0: yeah and it does serve the plot a bit more like it's not um like poor alice in halloween in um friday the 13th part two when she just pops up at the beginning and then is just murdered um they do kind of use her okay we're gonna further the plot because she went through something horrific so when you see um, uh, Kara tied to the altar, you're like, oh, this is not good at all. This is this is going to be very, very bad because I think they think, oh, no, Michael fucks in this movie. No, he rapes his niece. That is what is happening. I mean, JB wants no part of this. Um but you're right, Jamie. I love how you said Jamie Lloyd has always been a tragic character, and she has, even from four. This is not a girl who has had the best start in life. She has not her whole she has the weight of her whole entire family on her shoulders, and she's like seven. It's it's a hard, I still find four. A l- kind of hard to watch for that reason So I'm like that's a lot of pressure to put on a child and a child actor um and it's because Danielle Harris has is just a pro and can I always love it when she sh- shows up in something um and she's very good at playing that character who has the world on just resting on his shoulders like in Halloween the Halloween sequels with a uh, zombie and also in the Hatchet movies she's very good at doing that um but yeah I think it even though it's kind of more horrific, I think it suits the movie more because it's got that amazing sheen of this is this, all this dopey stuff is happening, which I think I said on the from the on the third, which goes back to when I did talk about Halloween three. There's all this dopey shit happening up front, but when you actually look behind what's happening, it's super dark and super devilish. And that's True. why it's more about the Halloween season for me. I will
1: say the one thing that they do with Michael that I do think is a mistake is that michael is the father of jamie's baby uh because like michael having sex is unimaginable like i don't believe for a second he could even get hard or he could have feelings like that like i can't i i that's just unthinkable like i don't think that's possible with this character and it's so unnecessary too because if it wasn't michael's baby the baby's still a continuation of his bloodline if it's coming from jamie Hmm. so jamie could have had a boyfriend maybe even a husband it's so unnecessary that it's michael's baby and it's the dumbest thing in the movie i think
0: it is the dumbest thing in the movie and it's it just it does make you feel a little bit icky with it you're like oh oh we didn't quite need that i was having fun with all the spookiness and witchery and and Halloween festivals and creepy old old ladies um oh he heard the voice um like that night in 1963 um I love her she's like this, she's like the robot in freaking Halloween 3 um <laughs> <laughs> just waiting for her head to come off um but yeah and then you get to that moment and you're like oh okay um but then because of that it just it also makes you you realize you're, oh you we are just full in debauchery cult and so when Rudd does figure out the ruins and figures out the ruins do are the thing that controls Michael, um, it becomes much more spookier. Like there's a spooky element that I can't quite describe in that yeah, in that ending moment. Yeah, and it's such a relief because like Halloween Five is not really
1: a spooky movie. It's no. like Michael just kind of driving around for a <laughs> while.
0: I think Patrick and Mike described it as uh, the American graffiti of Halloween. <laughs> which still is i agree with that summation it still is that it's just just driving around
1: <laughs> yeah it would be kind of cool though if uh, Michael drives in Halloween ends because he hasn't driven in a movie in a long time and he does drive in the original.
0: I really like the fact that the Mike- Michael is like a mechanical genius, like especially in 2 when you realize he's gone around to all the cars in the parking lot and just like taking all the spark plugs out or he's done something. <laughs> I want that Michael back. I want the Michael who's like the mechanic. <laughs> he's just, he's a car guy.
1: <laughs> It'd be kind of fun if you saw a slasher movie where they actually show him like doing all the things like setting up the bodies and stuff. I guess, I guess Leslie Vernon is kind of that movie, isn't it? Like, it sort of.
0: is. Yeah, it's kind of the behind the scenes of what Michael's actually doing because Michael loves posing the bodies, and he even does this in this movie with the brother and the girlfriend. um Though watching the series, I've suddenly noticed how much they do the nipple hide. I mean, you do see full boob in in sex, but there's a moment with the candles just like on the nipple, and I was like going, they do this a lot in that series. There's always a scene when. Someone's having sex and it's just the nipple that's it. <laughs> it's,
1: yeah, it's yeah. not a sexy franchise. No, there's very there's actually very little sex, and when it happens, it's very short. And they do, you're right, they do nipple hide in four as well.
0: Yeah, that yes. And I've just I, I don't know why it was this. I'm like six going, okay, this is the like the third or fourth time I've seen them. I mean, three has the most explicit one. Because I guess th- that's not a horny movie, it's just Tom Atkins is. Um
1: but- <laughs> oh, two has two is pretty horny. Oh
0: two is actually very horny, yeah, because you got the bathtub yeah. one. But um, and that is everyone because it's 1981 and everyone is having sex in the worst places. Um, but yeah, it is not a very horny one, and they do try because that is what kind of slashes kind of ended up being. But it goes to the same thing as like, why did they make Michael the baby, the father of Jamie's? baby that just feels wrong because he's not doing any of that this is not a yeah he can't he's not fully human he can't even yeah he can't even get it up I don't understand why they needed to do that but um yeah just a weird thing I've just noticed that the Halloween loves a nipple hide
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a it's a bummer but it's like the one thing with Michael that I just can't forgive but the rest of it i i'm cool i'm cool with watching michael stand around a ceremony it's kind of funny i'm i like it
0: (laughs) (laughs) it is very weird it's just like it just he's that awkward guy in the room at a party you're just like oh yeah eh, eh, yeah how's it going um but we might as well get into the ending um especially involving donald pleasance it's kind of i think it kind of hit me how tragic this is once because donald pleasance is the through line of the series until this movie because he passed away in real life um and but to make him tied to Michael forever I think is a it kind of is a perfect way to end the movie it's actually a really cool way to end the movie and the greatest tragedy as well and it does leave you a bit kind of shook afterward especially because of the fact you just end on like a jack-o'-lantern
1: yeah, and it's kind of like the ending of a uh, cult of Chucky, which is another ending that I know a lot of people don't like. Mm. Um, where it it seems to say that the story is going in a dramatically new direction, where yes. Michael has ditched his mask, he's ditched his mechanic suit, he's put on the cult the 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 man in black suit, and it seems like we're we're moving towards a new Michael, mm. a Michael that's maybe a cult leader or something. Which, you know, they probably made the right decision never making that movie, because I think a lot of people, most everyone would hate it. Oh, yeah. Because uh, everyone wants to watch Michael with a mask and just silently stab people. And I get yeah. it. But like I said, I like horror franchises that move stories forward. And it's kind of an exciting ending. That's crazy that like Michael's going in this new direction. It's kind of I kind of wish there was an alternate universe where like we see an actual sequel to Halloween six and see where that
0: goes. It would be interesting. I'm not even sure I would love it because I'm so tied to the mask. I don't I, I don't know how long it would take me to go. OK, Michael doesn't have the mask. He's a cult leader. He's now he's now in his own full control, Um, because that's what I love about it, because he's kind of been an automaton for the most of this movie. The cult has been kind of directing him, but kinda of not. They know if they push him toward the house, he will go and kill whoever whoever is in there. Um but this one is like, Anna, oh, no, I've I've got I now have fully embraced the power of cult of Thorn. No one can stop me. And now I run Haddonfield because you soon get to realize this is an actual Rosemary's baby situation and that most of the head of the town is involved in this cult. Uh, um so they've been wanting Michael to kind of keep going um but yeah the fact that he's like oh no 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 i'm just doing what i want is even more terrifying than him in the mask but i don't yeah it'd be interesting to see how i'd react to a sequel to halloween six
1: wouldn't it be cool and i know this is like major fan fiction but if we could see a sequel to halloween six that also reveals it is also a canonical sequel to Halloween three and like the cult of thorn and the 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 whatever the cult is in Halloween three, like are one and the and like oh like okay. So I, I'm, I'm working through this in my head. So yeah. it reveals that like during Halloween six, the Halloween three stuff is also going on. So like it's a sequel to Halloween three and six simultaneously. So we've also got children that are like, have all the bugs in their heads. And uh, everything And that event has just happened. And this is just a crazy movie I'm describing right now, but I want to see it.
0: <laughs> I actually kind of want to see that as well. Um, yeah, just everything just popped off that one night. And then I think because Hayden came up with this brilliant idea of writing a sequel to Halloween 3 of what happened when all the children, the night all the children didn't come home. He did. Yeah, he did. Um, Oh, um, yeah, that would be amazing. Never happened, though. It will never
1: happen. Oh, no. Like people just want. Yeah, people just want to watch Michael walk around and kill people and I get it. That's totally fine. Mm. And they'll keep making those movies forever just like they'll keep making Dracula movies forever and that's fine with me.
0: Exactly. I will watch the new Dracula movie as much as I will go see a new Halloween movie. I mean, Definitely. I didn't yeah, I didn't love The Invitation as much as you did, but the fact that it was a new Dracula movie, I was very happy about. Um and yeah, I'm going to go see kills. I have my issues with um uh with Halloween no wait, I'm gonna see ends because I had my issues with kills. So I'm getting them confused. Um yeah. but I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna totally see ends. Yeah, I'm, but I'm going to see ends because evil will die tonight. <laughs> no, we won't. Yeah. Even if it does.
1: <laughs> I'm looking forward to ends. I'm gonna go see it, but I have a knit. I don't like the trailers so far because they make it look like it's like batman versus superman like it's some kind of superhero beatdown movie of like michael versus laurie who's gonna <laughs> win and i don't know that's not really the vibe i want from my halloween movie no. like why are we i don't it, i don't know it it may not be that but it feels like it's turning into a superhero franchise
0: it kind of does and it's kind of weird at the moment how everything kind of just turns into a superhero <laughs> franchise at the moment, even though it's not a superhero. Um as much as I love the Godzilla, new Godzilla Hong Kong uh King Kong movies, also superheroes, that's what they are. So I think everything kind of we want as much as we want Michael to be this mysterious creature of evil, we also want him to be a superhero or a supervillain. And I think it's the trick of okay, so you want two things that are completely oppose each other. So how do we do that? And it's going to be interesting to see where ends um, actually lays the line. If it is going to be um, Superman versus Batman or if it's actually going to be more of a, this is a supernatural creature, so we might as well just bring in Cult of Thorn and just fuck everyone.
1: And, you know, most every Halloween movie, when you look back on them, is very much a product of the era that they came out in. You know, yes. Halloween 2 mm. is, is jumping off of Friday the 13th and, uh, and you've got Obviously, H two O is jumping off of Scream. The Rob Zombie movies are in that extreme remakes um, kind of phase. Yes, and these new movies, like what is the defining thing about movie pop culture right now? It's superheroes, and that's what they're jumping off of. It feels like so they that's you know this is the trend this franchise goes in.
0: Oh, it's always that. I mean, even when I was watching Four, I'm like, oh, this is what late because um, I uh, was sort of already been out, so I paired it with the Terminator with Rob. And I just kept thinking, oh, this is what like 80s genre was. It was Halloween 4. This is the kind of the prototype and even watching 6 when Dimension hasn't quite figured out how to market horror yet. um, They're trying. They're really, really trying, but it's not going to be until the next year when Scream comes out. And they're like, oh, this is what people want. They want this. And that is when H2O, they bring back Michael again because they're like, okay, now we know what, people want they want the scream halloween they don't want the court of thorn halloween okay we we know what we're doing um but yeah every single that's what i'm really learning doing this series is that how much halloween is a product of its time like more so than most other slashes i think it is kind of
1: remarkable when you look back at dimension that they actually let kevin williamson and wes craven do their thing and make scream the way they wanted and they didn't screw it up
0: yeah, that's pretty great. Dimension has a habit of screwing things up. It had to oh, be, yeah. yeah, Dimension. I mean, I know people sort of say A24 has like a, a sort of a brand and how they make movies. I'm like, no, that was Dimension. Dimension had an absolute blueprint of how they wanted their movies to look, feel, cast, everything like that. I mean, that is why Paul, they got the really pretty boy to play um Tommy, Tommy Doyle, who ended up being Paul Rudd, is because they wanted that um that young tv cute kind of thing going on and that goes through into definitely into h2o when that is how they just fully cast it but yeah i still can't believe that somehow will williamson and Wiz Craven got away with scream it's insane
1: (laughs) yeah because it was something like so bold and new like it's surprising they weren't like oh like just make it a regular slasher like don't try to reinvent the wheel here you know
0: and they're like no we're going to reinvent the wheel (laughs) It's yeah, like, thank
1: goodness, because that's yes. a, an awesome movie.
0: Oh, it's an amazing, amazing movie. Um, anything else you want to say about Halloween 6? Um, yes,
1: I have to shout out Marianne Hagen, who plays Kara, Kara Strode. Yes. Uh, who's really the final girl of this movie. And uh, I love her. I think like she's probably the most underrated final girl in the Halloween franchise Um, I like that her and her family are are uh, relatives of the Strodes because like it's not too closely related, but it's it's still connected to the further connects this movie to the original Halloween. Mm. Um, So I like that. I think she gives a great performance. I really like the character. I think making her a young single mom who had to move back in with her parents just kind of instantly gives sympathy for her character and instantly tells us a lot about her. So that's a good move for economical storytelling. And I recognize the guy playing her dad is like cartoonishly awful, oh. but he's another thing that like adds conflict to the movie, which is interesting and further furthers our sympathy for her. Um, so I also think, I, I, I just kind of think everything about her character was really well done.
0: It really is. I think she is really good. And also I did purchase a long skirt after wearing in this movie because I always forget how comfortable she looks. <laughs> She's just she's she's dressed up like a mom like because she is a single mom so they don't try to um sexy up the final girl but she is really good and she is just really just concerned about I mean that moment where she's trying to get her son to walk over an unconscious myers and even I'm just like no no this is not a good idea um it's I still jump when his hand comes out and grabs her her leg it's it's still really effective but I love the fact um I did write this on my notes so thank you for reminding me. that the family is stuck in this house and you can tell the, the father's absolutely cartoonishly awful, but there is the sense of the Strode's as just as cursed as the Myers. Um, they're forever linked. They're linked to this house, which they cannot move away from because they can't afford to. No one wants to buy it because it's the Myers house. And he's somehow, um, oh, and I wanted to say uh, Mrs. Strode, Kara's uh, mother is played by Kim Darby, who was the original Maddie in, um, Uh, True Grit with uh, John Wayne. Um, Holy shit. That is an amazing fact. Yeah. Um, And she is just so beat down that all she can say is, can't we get along when her husband is verbally abusing both of their kids, both of her children. It's just this portrait of this cursed family. And it just, yeah, leans into the whole, these people are screwed from the get-go. There's no getting out of this. So, yeah, thank you for reminding me.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. And uh, and I certainly hope that in the housing market we're in right now, that people will no longer say, why don't they just move? Because yes. we should all understand by now.
0: <laughs> there is no, you just can't move. There is no moving.
1: No. <laughs> I feel like so lucky that my wife and I bought a house like just before things went really insane. And now I'm like, well, we can probably never move. But no, at least we have a house. So that's good.
0: That is like us. we bought just before everything went really, really nuts. And um, it's kind of weird when you realize if you were going to try and buy your house today, it's like, I actually couldn't afford it.
1: Yeah, right. I just yeah. saw like a news article that like Jeff Bezos is buying up tons of houses to like rent out. And so he's like, cleaning out the market it's so sad oh
0: god um yeah that that needs to stop
1: <laughs> it's just, yeah no kidding
0: yeah um yeah and on that note we're going to be getting into another actually very well it's not actually no this movie looks grim but i don't think it is the empty man um another unloved uh, studio movie that was on the shelf and then got dumped because of the disney fox deal you're just watching this movie and I can understand what Disney did, but it's just such a shame that this this happened to this movie. The curtains are opening again. Daniel, what is going to be your first trailer for The Empty Man?
1: Okay. Well, I love that the Schlockenau ah movie theater is showing this movie because almost no one got the chance to see this movie in theaters. <laughs> I certainly didn't. Um, Me neither. But, so glad that we're showing it. Uh, the first trailer I'm going to show is for a movie that admittedly I don't love. I like it. I respect it. But I think it's one of the most comparable movies I've ever seen to the mm. empty man. And it's Ben Wheatley's kill list from two thousand eleven. One, two. Right. Look at that, people they should suffer
0: oh I do actually love the kill list but I have no desire oh, cool. to see it again
1: <laughs> yeah like it's a deeply unpleasant movie it really uh, is but it's it's very good it has a very similar feel to the empty man I think the sort of like detective angle except the main character is definitely not a detective he is a hit man who, yeah by the way I think it's so cool how long the movie holds back the information that he is a hitman. Yeah. And for a while, like him and his wife keep arguing because he's unemployed and he won't go back to work. And then you realize, oh, back to work is to be a hitman. Okay. Yes. That, and the wife even knows, like, he's yeah. not even keeping it a secret from her.
0: No, she's fully aware. He's like, you need to go back to work. And it's like, I don't want to. It's like, I can understand why you don't want to. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but the the rabbit hole he sort of goes down with discovering this cult kind of reminds me of The Empty Man. Mm. And the ending is, the ending is the reason, I don't know if I can ever watch this again. It's yeah. so unbelievably nihilistic and horrific. And like, I don't want that in my head again, but it is still a very good movie. And uh, and I think it's just the right vibe to lead us into The Empty Man.
0: It really, really does. But I will say that ending does push the thumb on the nerve a bit too hard, which is why I have not wanted to. And there are other um, Ben Wheatley movies I've happily gone back to, but this is the one I'm like, Oh, I don't know if I can. Cause I know what that ending is. And it's, yeah, it, it pushes the nerve a little too hard. Um, a little bit too horrific. There's a certain, just one moment. I'm just like, Oh God, I can't, I don't know if I can quite do that again.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I did not see it coming. And like, I knew, everyone talked about the twist with this movie and I was like, Oh, the twist is like that. The people he's involved with is a cult. And we discovered that. So it's like, oh, okay, I know, but the twist twist, I did not see coming. And that no. really took me off guard.
0: It really did, which is actually what happened with the first time I watched the empty man. So this was a really interesting process to me to go back and how I felt about. Oh the, yeah. The actual twist. Again, we will be spoiling this. Okay. So for my first trailer, I'm going to go for as well, I still think it's underrated Stephen King adaption because it just really kind of hard to see. Um, but that is the Night Flyer from 1997. 101, one, Bravo, Lima. Come in, over. I can't have you sitting in the middle
1: of my runway. Respond, over.
0: like that you will know um this is about a reporter who is he's a tabloid uh, tabloid re- reporter who has a plane who so flies around the country basically going um my wife is bigfoot kind of stories um and then there happens to be a also a vampire who has a plane flying around the country eating people and it is actually a really really good movie and it's kind of sucks that it's so hard to see um because it's a uh movie that stars uh, Miguel Fer- Ferrer who did not star or hold up a lot of movies and yeah it's just a really cool little Stephen King movie which I got more attention and it is very much about the thing that you the thing that you are hunting that you become, and it's got one of the most amazing um, end sequences that is bloody and gory, but so done so artfully that it's amazing.
1: Nice. Yeah, it's mm. funny. I was um, I was just talking to our friend Matt Bledsoe about this because I saw he watched it on Letterboxd. And I texted him like, how did you see this movie? Because I've always wanted to see it and it's so unavailable. Mm. Um, And he told me he just watched it on YouTube, so I didn't know it was on YouTube, so I will be checking it out soon. Because it's like, I don't know why they can't put this out on Blu-ray and the DVD is historically out of print and you can't stream it. Um, Very sad, but uh now that i've found out there's a way to see it i will be checking it out soon because oh. i love stephen king and i love vampires so i gotta see this
0: this is really great because i have a really old dvd which i'm never getting rid of because it is so oh, out for of sure. print yeah um but the fact that it is on youtube is fantastic because that will get people to you can actually see this now um and it is really up it, yeah it's smart when you say it's one of those great Stephen King synopsises, when you said, "Oh, it's a vampire flying around in the plane," and you're like, "What?" and then you watch the movie and you realise it's more intelligent than, or more, it's more, it's more in depth than it is, which is kind of like a Stephen King thing for me. Which is usually the ones I love of his. <laughs> it's like, um, "Oh, wait, there's giant rats in a basement." What? And then you watch Night Shift and go, "That movie was deranged." <laughs> I've never seen
1: Night Shift either.
0: It's fun. It's not his best, not the best adaptation of one of it. It's not my favorite short story of his, but it is um, fun for pure the Brad Dorf performance.
1: Oh, okay, cool. I'll yeah, check that out for sure.
0: Yeah, um, what is going to be your second trailer?
1: Okay, so I went back and forth about this one because it's so recent. But if we're talking about cosmic horror and an ancient god, which is at least kind of what the Empty Man is. Um, I gotta show the trailer for Glorious. Oh,
0: I didn't from even 2022. Think of
1: this. Everything all right over there, my friend? I'm not much of a bathroom talker.
0: You're not in the least bit curious as to what I have to say.
1: I'm just not into conversations with
0: random dudes
1: hiding out in bathroom stalls.
0: <laughs> no one is coming to help you, friend.
1: Anybody! So you're a God living in a rest stop bathroom in a stall that's glory hole adjacent. I am he, I am that God. The universe has a favor to ask.
0: You need to satisfy my physical form. There's only one part of you that can do that.
1: Yeah, Rebecca McKendry, yes. very different from The Empty Man in tone, for sure. But for as influential as H.P. Lovecraft is, there really aren't a lot of his movies that there aren't there aren't a lot of movies that really deal with Lovecraft's ideas about ancient gods mm. and, and that really weird, heady cosmic horror. And Glorious is one of my favorites that I've seen. I think this movie is super fun and entertaining. Um despite the fact that it's really only one actor in a room interacting with another actor's voice. Yeah. I went into this movie kind of expecting that would get boring and tedious. Never got boring for me. I mean, it's only 79 minutes. I thought it was really entertaining. I thought it looked great. I thought the actors were really good and it came out at a great time because I've felt recently like I haven't been connecting with indie horror as much as I used to. Yeah. And this came along, and it was a Shutter movie, which I often I often don't vibe with Shutter movies as much as I wish I did, and uh, and I really really connected with this one. So I was so happy to find a movie like that that I could really love.
0: No, I've been a little in the same boat, especially with Shutter movies, because there's sometimes one I'll go, okay, this is really really great, and then I'll watch a few more. I'm like, eh, okay that didn't really need to. Okay, fine. It's, it's a shadow movie, but if you've ever listened to Mc, Rebecca McKendry on her multiple podcasts, you know how much she loves Lovecraft. So I was like, well, I know she loves this and this is probably the thing she's been trying to get toward through everything she's been making. Cause I do actually really like her Christmas horror anthology and watching it. I was like, uh, yes. Cause this is a movie that just really wants to dig into the, idea of an ancient god it's yeah because it is literally one guy in a disgusting public bathroom on a roadside dealing with this voice and a glory hole in one of the stalls and that's kind of where it begins and that's where it stays but what you go through and the ideas that are packed into this movie is it's all very Lovecraftian and it's kind of one of the best Lovecraftian um, adaptions I've seen since Dagon and of course, that was Stuart Gordon, who was the master of. Um, I mean, it's him and Carpenter who know how to do a Lovecraftian movie. Um, but Dagon is the last one I've seen that I've gone. Oh, actually, there's another one, but I, the director's a piece of shit. But um, oh, that, yeah. yeah, that movie, which I do like, but just because I was so high in that movie, and then you find you know, anyway, it is Dagon was such a delightful surprise, and so was Glorious. So yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I love Dagon. It's one of the other great movies about a ancient God. Um, and this is a really good one. What The moment that I love so much in Glorious is when we, we, we the audience and the main character, think we know what the God is asking for. And then uh, the main character puts it through the hole. And then the God is like, no, I want this and what <laughs> he wanted. I was like, that is so fucking crazy. And I did not know we were going there.
0: No, neither did I. And again, it's a movie I have to watch again because I was thrown by the twist. Um, not that I, no, I kind of didn't see it coming because I wasn't paying that much attention to where this movie was going. Because I was like, I'm with ancient gods and I like it. Um, but I need to go back and reconcile. Okay, this is what the twist is. So this is now what the movie is. Now I need to watch it fresh with a little fresher eyes, much like The Empty Man. So this is absolutely a perfect, perfect trailer. I, I love it. But yeah, you're right. When you find out what the god actually wants, you're like- oh, I didn't know we were going here. Yikes. <laughs>
1: yeah, kind of... for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, really cool movie. Very, very cool movie. If you hadn't seen it and you think, oh my God, it's a shadow movie. It's one of those ones that actually has some legs to it. It's, it's really, really interesting. Okay. My next trailer. Now this is my way of working around that all I wanted to do was um because we did actually talk about this I wanted to show the bye bye man as a trailer but I don't want to show the bye bye man as a trailer. <laughs> so
1: you're going slender man instead, I assume. Not
0: quite. I went past that because <laughs> I watched the trailer and realized that there's only a reason why I've only seen half of the bye bye man and half of the slender man. Then I went to Beware the Slender Man, which is a documentary <laughs> about the Slender Man. But that feels way too exploitative because that is actually about a real tragedy. And I don't want to have that mood into what the empty man is because the empty oh, okay. man is Kind of grim enough. So I'm going for another Joey King movie that is about, well, you dig multiverses as well. I'm going Wish Upon from 2016. Claire, you find anything? Seven wishes. My bad. I wish. Darcy Chapman We just go rot. Oh my god!
1: I can wish for anything money. Get in! What is happening right now? Love? Did that just happen?
0: There have been others who've had the box. They and everyone they love all
1: died. When the music ends, the blood price is paid. It's a demon. What does it want? Your soul. Very nice. Wow. Very <laughs> weird tone to go into the empty man with.
0: Very weird tone. Um, and maybe I should have done that first and then done Nightflyer. But we are going with Wish Upon before we get into the to the empty man. But yeah, this is me working around the fact that there was a trend in the mid to, uh, that I think we've forgotten because of the pandemic where we had these kind of memes as horror movies. And this is what I thought The Empty Man was going to be. But Wish Upon surprised me, mainly because it's so ridiculous that I was not expecting it to be that height of Ryan Philippe playing a saxophone and digging on multiverses and whatever that line is that I'm like, okay, I'm actually having fun with this now because I didn't expect it to be this outlandish or silly. Oh, that kind of thing. So I'm actually enjoying myself. Same thing happened with The Empty Man, but in a much more different tone. So, but yeah, we did actually get Joey King in there somewhere.
1: <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah, I, I kind of love this trend that happened in like the really late 2010, 2010s. Yeah. Um, of like really, really dumb, <laughs> trashy, theatrical teen horror yes where all the actors and the characters are taking it dead serious acting like it's not stupid this is one friend request is one
0: countdown
1: is one i like all these movies like they're really dumb but like my god they are stone-faced about it and i think it's really entertaining
0: yes because countdown they are taking everything so seriously and i'm just watching it going it's an act what are we are we doing haunted apps now but yeah and friend request is exactly that as well i like friend request
1: as well. i like friend request too
0: um and i'm kind of warming up on um countdown because the first time i'm halfway through watching i'm like going oh, this might be the dumbest thing i've ever seen i had not seen no it was actually after i saw bye bye man which i thought was the dumbest thing i'd ever seen there's a florist called mr daisy and I, I i'm not kidding but <laughs> bye bye man has instead sort of being boring same with the slender man Uh, truth or dare um friend request uh wish upon are not boring they are the dumbest truth or dare yeah they are dumb everyone's taking it ultra seriously but when you're watching it you're like "Going, this is ridiculous what is going on but they are generally entertaining like is something on screen that's always going to keep you entertained regardless of the fact that what you're watching is a um a, a Oh, what is a music box that makes wishes? I forget actually what Wish Upon the, the Cracks is. I can't remember everything else. It's
1: something like that, at least.
0: Yeah, that makes wishes. And she keeps wishing for things and then trying to out, fix the wish that she made that screwed everything up. But is now it's starting to kill people because it's a cursed cursed object, which I actually really do like in movies. I love when we get a good, good cursed object. And then when you watch Countdown, it's like literally haunted act.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love the scene of Wish Upon when um ryan Philippi is playing the saxophone for his daughter and her teenage friends and they're all like super turned on by it like oh my god your dad is so hot it's, it's such a strange scene to put in a mainstream teen movie yes
0: <laughs> um and i adore joey king i love where her career is going i mean give me more of the princess but yeah this this is a weird time <laughs> in her career.
1: Joey King is so strange because I feel like she's not a star and she's not famous, but then like she kind of is and she yeah. keeps being in movies and people talk about her. And I'm like, wait, is Joey King a star? Did I
0: this think, happen? I think she is. I think that part that she's a part of the assemble of bullet train kind of proves that she's like you know, just officially oh God, now just a oh my gosh, she
1: is. I didn't see that, but yeah, I saw that in the trailer.
0: Yeah. It, I'm like even forgot I'm like, wait, Joey King said this? <laughs> doing in this um yeah
1: she's like in the new Brad Pitt movie she's like a legit star and I'm I I guess the Kissing Booth movies did it because I think those are kind of popular because there's like three or four of them
0: yes yes there is Netflix it's those quiet Netflix ones that you just like um that will just keep trucking along that aren't stranger things like Cobra Kai and the Kissing Booth they're just gonna keep making them
1: (laughs) yeah Chris Hurtado when you do an Inside the Sequel episode on Kissing Booth 2
0: yes yeah when is it when is it happening so with that weird tone we're gonna well shift in tone because we are going to be going into david Pryor's, the empty man and from the first shot you can tell this guy um has worked with fincher has studied fincher david fincher and is going to make a movie that is in the style of david fincher hey wait we gotta try it try what calling the empty man
1: who is the empty man?
0: If you're on a bridge and you find a bottle you blow into it and you think about the empty man, oh, come on, Mandy, how old are you? Tell him the rest. On the first night, you hear him. And on the second night, you see him.
1: And on the third night? Well, on the third night,
0: he finds you. Learning his way into your thoughts, (sighs) like a disease, (laughs) and his message is contagious. The empty man. 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 I love The Empty Man, and I generally love it even more after watching um, watching it this time. Uh, So you probably did the exact same thing everyone else did, heard about it in 2020 and went, wait, what is this empty man movie everyone keeps talking about?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I I remember, uh, I think the first big time I heard about it was Chris Stuckman put out a video about it, Mm. um, about how like, hey, everyone needs to go watch and support this movie. I think that was the first time, but I sometimes I put off movies- at least movies at home too long, just because of length. And it's like a horror movie. That's like two hours and 15 minutes. And I put it off for a bit, uh, but it's on HBO max. And I checked it out one night when I was home alone and I watched it in my basement in the dark. And it was a really, really scary movie watching experience. And I loved it. Like it really, I think this is the most effectively creepy movie in a long time like i'm not sure what is the last movie that is this creepy
0: i can't either because i was trying to think about this i'm like when was i generally scared now i'm a wuss so i will get a little bit spooked by insidious and even the conjuring which is meant to be the pg-13 haunted house series but when they
1: came out those creeped me out a lot too
0: yeah so but there's something really dark about the empty man and i was really just trying to think about okay so when has this yeah because you're right I saw this on Twitter people saying Disney's just dumped it um when they bought Fox you should go watch it and I, I was in lockdown and I saw so I had plenty of time to watch it because I do the same thing at home if the movie's like over two hours I'm like how much time do I really have if I'm in a cinema I'll watch a four-hour movie fine but um because I'm going out to do it but I'm at home yeah. I'm like dang yeah. so had time I have time hands. for
1: two 90 minute movies but I don't have time for a two and a half hour movie
0: exactly <laughs> <laughs> that is so true <laughs> oh I have time to watch two minute uh two 90 minute movies but a one two and a half hour movie oh come on um exactly yeah so signs down watch it I was um upstairs watched it in the dark and yet yeah, was generally creeped out especially when you have um James Bage Dale walking into the actual when you see the cult trying to conjure another tulpa. Um, you don't know what that's happening then because the first time it's like, what are these, what is that whispering? What is, what are they actually trying to do? And it's insanely creepy. And then when it goes out and the thing, it's not even that much lighter and it's raining because this movie is permanently overcast. It is not, this is a movie where sun does not touch anything in, the, in, in, in it. And it's, yeah, it's, I mean, and we're not even into the thing with the fire scene, but holy and the freaking video Oh, there's yeah there's so many things where i'm just like going okay i'm actually generally creeped out
1: (laughs) yeah for sure like it just has so much it has so many great horror scenes Mm. like some horror movies may only have one or two this has a lot like first of all you have the opening and the opening is incredible it's like 20 25 minutes with characters that mostly we won't see again for the rest of the movie but they Feel like they're going to be the main characters for the whole thing yeah and um it is an incredibly creepy sequence because it for i think three reasons no four four reasons it's super scary mm. one is the skeleton that they find underground it is an incredible image if this movie had nothing else good to offer except for the image of that skeleton oh. it would still be a movie to remember it would um so you got that you've got how the one guy reacts to it and the way that it steals his humanity completely is so scary because it's so unknown and none of his friends have any idea what's wrong with him then to top it all off they're isolated in this snowy area where they can't possibly quickly go to get help it's going to be a big journey to be able to contact anybody yeah and then the very end of this sequence uh is the murder is so scary and the thing that really chills me is when the girl just casually drops off the edge yes
0: It is because you don't, that, I mean, it's a short little movie on itself. Even if the, one of the characters does not return to it, it still would have been an amazing opening because it's setting up the rules, but it's doing in such a way you don't comprehend, even I'm still having, The Empty Man is such a beguiling movie is that I'm still not 100% sure what The Empty Man is. I'm still not 100% sure what is exactly happening, especially in terms of James Badgedale, what is a memory? What is actually happening? Everything is he walking around the town? What is actually happening? But that opening sets up the rules so perfectly, but in a way that I'm just like, I this is just creepy. There's a moment when um one of the girls is with the he's pretty much comatose, like he's lost all his humanity. It's like his soul has been taken out of his his body. She's sitting there. She blows in the um instrument the from because they're in the middle of DePaul as well. So this is like completely snowy kind of cabin in, in Nepal and she blows on it and then everything goes silent. As the wind stops, everything stops. And it's such a creepy thing of, Oh, they are not even in a plane of humanity. Now something's been taken away. Um, and you don't know what, and the fact that, um, I mean, I love the look after she slits her friend's throat and her friend just gives her a look of, not even confusion, but just sadness of, oh, you did this. And then it's just pushed, pushed off. The thing is such a haunting scene in a movie that has that kind of hauntingness throughout, throughout it. It's yeah. And then that whisper just sounds so sinister. It's not even a whisper. You just hear this. I can't even do it on the microphone, but yeah, it's this kind of series of like very quiet sounds. Yeah. That is creepy. (laughs)
1: super super effective yeah and like when I first saw this movie and I saw that opening like I was completely hooked like the movie could go anywhere and I would go with it because it was one of the scariest things I'd seen in any movie in a long time and we're only like 20 minutes into this really long film
0: yeah and I'm like oh my god where is it gonna go and then all of a sudden you are in Missouri and you meet James Badgedale who's also called James which I find this very very uh Easy for me because I'm not going to mix up the actor and char- character like I always do. <laughs> yeah. Same name. Um, and then you see him and you're like, what is going on? And the movie is so fractured and so weird that you don't understand the conversation he's having when he first interacts with Amanda in the movie. They're talking like they know each other. And then watching it this time around, i like going, they actually don't. She's giving him weird advice, but it makes no sense and he even has a look in his face of like yeah I, I have no idea what you're saying to me at all and you're talking about the mind and there's something about grief and I, I I still don't know what that conversation is about <laughs> when you're watching it the first time you're just like okay there's obviously something I'm not getting and now you're just watching and going, yeah still not getting it at all I I kind of know why but I still don't understand it and this is the brilliance of this movie it captivates you while keeping you at arm's length because you it's purposely being that beguiling.
1: Yeah, it does an amazing job keeping you at arm's length, keeping answers away from you, mm. but, but still doling out information slowly enough or quickly enough rather that you don't kind of give up like you're always engaged and so curious where it's going to go. Mm. It was really cool to rewatch this movie. This was my first time rewatching it since I first saw it. Because, um, you know, it, it's cool watching it, knowing James's backstory, because you watch it the first time a lot. There are a lot of conversations where you don't want really to know what they're talking about like yeah. kind of reference. Uh, so it is really cool to watch it again, knowing all of that and just feeling that sadness even more, because I, I recognize the end of the very end of the movie changes how we think about the backstory somewhat, yes. but taking that out of account still his backstory is horrifyingly tragic. It is so sad, but it's also like, not like the the end twist twist of kill list is so yes. nihilistic and depressing, but it's also something that could probably never, ever happen in a zillion years. Mm. The backstory for James and the Empty Man could happen, like it's yeah. plausible. And it's like the most tragic chain of events. and uh, And it makes a rewatch really interesting because the very end of this movie actually doesn't change how I feel about it. I still feel very sad for these people, even knowing uh, what we find out at the end. Kind of yes. talking around a lot right now. We're
0: talking, we're talking about, I have sort of mentioned creating tulpas, but which this movie does actually talk about. I forgot how much they talk about that through, during the movie that, you know, uh, concentration plus time equals flesh. Like it is this very David Cronian idea that you can kind of create flesh out of nothing. Um, which is essentially what is happening in, in this movie. The only character that I think changed for me was Amanda, who was the teenager that supposedly goes missing that um, James Badgedale has to try and track down. She is ah, the, speaking of the Wicker Man. Speaking of the Wicker Man. Uh, missing girl. Um, and, and to a horrifying conclusion that she's been in it the whole entire time. No, she's the one that kind of changed because I was going, you're in on it. You're... The only thing I sort of was, well, there's many things that still beguile me about this movie, but I'm just like, this cult is full of teenagers or kids in their early twenties doing this. And she's said that she's in high school with Actually you could question every, all the reality of this movie because you have no idea what reality you're actually watching in a sense, um, except if it wasn't for her friend who is murdered in the shower, I would have said she could, might not even be in high school. This could just have been a complete uh, fabrication um but yeah i was watching her as more as a femme fatale like just really manipulating everyone she's coming into contact with and right yeah she became much more fascinating to me just then as the because she, she's kind of you think she's the macguffin but she's the one that's she is kind of just going out of her way to manipulate everyone
1: yeah she's Gives a really great performance too. Mm. She reminds me of uh Mia Goth in A Cure for Wellness. Did you she see Cure for
0: Wellness? I have, yes. And you're right, she that, does. Yeah.
1: That could have been, that also could have been a trailer before this movie. I think they kind of have a similar vibe. Mm. Um, also similar length. They're both really long. And um, yeah, so I could see this girl, I kind of, and obviously Mia Goth is really blowing up with the Ty West trilogy. I actually just saw Pearl today. It's oh, great.
0: I can't wait to see it. <laughs>
1: is it out in australia yet no they're doing that. soon
0: i have no idea they're doing that thing where they're just not announcing it and then they'll just say oh by the way it's out next week i'm like you could have told me that
1: (laughs) at least it's a movie that's kind of spoiler proof because it's a prequel and it's really all about mia goth's performance and the overall atmosphere of it is most important
0: but that is why i want to see it because i know where it leads into x i'm just like i i I going to see this movie
1: (laughs) it's really really cool Uh, but anyway mm. all that to say i could kind of see this girl uh, maybe blowing up in a similar way if there are some directors that can give her similar opportunities.
0: Yeah, because she does have that thing that Mia Goth has where she seems vulnerable when you're first looking at her, but then she's really good at sort of beguiling you, going, no, no, no. I'm I'm not that vulnerable, especially in X. When you first meet Mia Goth and you think she's the one kind of being manipulated a little bit. Um, but then you realize, no, 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 this is fully the Mia Goth show she's not being manipulated she absolutely is um the strongest person in the movie and and proves it um which I'm guessing similar to Pearl um and I cannot wait for that oh the Mia Goth X trilogy yes um but she does a similar thing she actually you think she's very frail and then throughout the movie you realize no she is not she's the strongest she is this literally in all senses the strongest person in this movie
1: yeah it's sure not james no nope. sure. <laughs> even i love the first scene with him because it tells us so much about what a bad place he's in Ugh. he's out to dinner by himself he uses a coupon for oh. a free birthday meal which is kind of a sad thing for any 40 year old man to do yes and then and then servers come and sing him happy birthday customer
0: while he's there alone. <laughs> i don't like, know the his name. scariest
1: scene in the movie
0: <laughs> I happy birthday customer i'm just like oh no
1: it's such an like economical oh. storytelling right it tells us instantly like so much about where he is in life
0: it is and it is i love him in the store like james he does this so often in this movie i was just loving his performance like he's always slightly off kilter and you think it's because it's where he is in his life that he's in this very dark lonely place and he's kind of going through the motions but he is very good at helping the lady who wants the the spray and he goes no 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 you have to shake it so i can actually and, it, and it's cheaper which feels like a throwaway line or even a adr or something but it's just this kind of this performance like i love when norris come to see him she's bringing food and she goes let me guess you forgot to eat And he goes no i didn't forget it just didn't occur to me and yeah. <laughs> Um, when, and he's, she's left and he's holding the, uh, the bottle of, um, turkey, wild turkey, whatever it is. And he just leans against the wall when, before he goes to bed, it's these little moments of, um, I'm not with it, which serves as someone who was deeply, um, uh, chronically depressed and to someone who has only just metamorphosized in the last three days. It's that very off kilter. You don't quite belong in the world. Um, you're very isolated and, he plays it so perfectly. I mean, again, this is another guy who should be blowing up. I sometimes just watch the final credits to Iron Man 3 just because I love his credits so much. <laughs> um, well, that's right,
1: he is in Iron Man 3. Yeah,
0: and really great in Iron Man 3. Again, he's one of those idiosynic directors. The way he sits in a chair has to be weird. He's always doing some sort of... He's a business direct, uh, actor. Like, he's always doing something. His hands are always doing something when he's on when he's on screen, Um, which I love
1: he seems like an actor to me that is a little bit out of time and he seems very old-fashioned yes I remember thinking when I first saw the movie like he's great he's very good in the movie but he seems an unusual lead for a movie today because he just seems like a guy and I think we kind of demand more quirkiness from movie stars today like we want chris pratt funny or we want we want paul um, rudd. chris pine snarky or we mm. want paul rudd yeah and james badge dale is almost like a 1940s leading man where he's just like a masculine man and yeah. like that's what he is and he's he gives a very good performance very soulful um interesting performance but he's just a guy. And that all, I think, really works when we get to the end of the movie. It really serves the story of it.
0: No, it really, really does. Because he is just this very... He's almost—he's obviously very good looking. But he's also, yeah, right. He's just a guy. Like um, He's not interesting enough to be an actor of the 70s because he's not hairy enough or broad enough or something enough. But yeah, he's the kind of guy that would have been in a 1940s noir, which is perfect for this movie especially where you realize where this movie goes. And it's kind of like, oh, this makes complete sense. But he's actually just really good at these little touches that you can kind of, as I said, you can believe he's depressed and you can believe that he's a creation Um, because he's just a guy. And I don't know, watching this time, I'm just like, I actually really love his performance. I think he's a very good actor and I kind of hope he's used more. Um, There's an actor who i've actually started to like who i thought i hated he's a lead in predator uh 2018 um looks like a ken barbie doll um but he this year he's been in the cursed which is a werewolf movie which just suddenly popped up which i actually kind of liked and also as corinthian and the sandman i'm like oh so now you're actually choosing interesting stuff and now i'm kind of liking you <laughs> even though you
1: okay still,
0: even though you still i'm not sorry
1: I'm not sold yeah. on that guy yet. Yeah. I, like I saw him in Logan, and I'm like, boy, what a boring villain for this movie. Oh,
0: I didn't really forget. I forgot he was in Logan.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll yeah. see. I need to. I need to watch Curse. I was actually just talking to uh, uh, again. We'll invoke his name. I was again just talking to Hayden about that, and uh, I'm really in a period horror mood lately. So I need to check that out for sure.
0: I think you might. I don't know if you'll love Curse, but I think you'll find some stuff really interesting. There's some really interesting stuff in how they deal with werewolves in in cursed okay awesome Mm. um yeah so he's though i think james badgedale is a better actor but he's kind of got that 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 quality but i think it's okay because i know you said off mic you were basically writing a note of like what is the empty man and going through it okay what do you think the what do you think the empty man is
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, I typed out at the very beginning, what is the empty man and just started making notes under it. And I yeah. haven't really figured it out. Um, but I think that's something that works so well in this movie's favor and that I think ultimately what we're talking about today is a folk horror double. Yes. Uh, I don't think either movie immediately makes you think that you might think that's more of a cosmic horror movie and a slasher, but I do think they're both folk horror films because this one is ultimately about a, about folklore, about a legend. <laughs> and, um, I think it works, the legend of this movie works better than a movie like um, The Bye Bye Man or even The Ring, at least the American remake of The Ring, Mm. because we can briefly understand what the legend is and that if you're at a a bridge overnight and you blow into a bottle and you think about the empty man, he will come to you. Mm. That's easy to understand, but everything else about it is impossible to understand. Yes. (laughs) It's something so beyond us. And I was kind of rewatching it, comparing the movie to some other horror noir films, because I do think ultimately this is also a horror noir. This is a lot of genres together. It is. And I was kind of comparing it to Angel Heart. Have you
0: seen Angel Heart? Yes, I have. And that was very close to being a trailer.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're very <laughs> yeah. comparable movies. They very. And I like Angel Heart. It's good. But when you get to the end of Angel Heart, you're like, okay, so Robert De Niro is this. Like, I get it. Yeah. And in this movie, you still don't really get it. It's so unknowable. And that's why like, I continue to think about this movie while I'll continue going back to it. Um, why it's such an interesting rabbit hole to go down. Because it doesn't matter if the movie is spoiled for you. It doesn't matter if you already know it. Because you don't know it. No. Um, so what is what is The Empty Man? So I think it's, it's something... I think it's something that you, I I can't decide. Like the skeleton left behind, is it something that used to have a living body and no longer has it? Or is the skeleton what its conduit eventually becomes?
0: Uh, That is, yeah.
1: It might be the conduit because I think it's Mm. probably something that doesn't have a body. It is some kind of otherworldly, cosmic god mm. I, I love some of the things that um oh gosh i'm forgetting his name he's a great actor and he's in get out who is the oh, actor who St-
0: Stephen root i made a point of going yes. there's a I, oh yay Stephen root sighting ci- uh, which again get out possible trailer <laughs> but um yeah i was very ha- i'm always happy to see Stephen root I, I do a little fist pump every time he comes <laughs> in the movie
1: yeah yeah and and he has a lot of interesting things about how the empty man is exists in the realm of the the uh, the sum of all consciousness or something. Oh, the cult it's super speak super weird and heady.
0: This cult speak he delivers in this movie is astounding. It, it they did a really because I think David Pryor actually wrote this as well. Um I want to say he did, I better check on that. Um but the cult speak the double the the double speak cult speak in this movie is on point because they say all the stuff, but it means nothing. They're talking about double consciousness, the consciousness of all the leading your the um, the flesh, the time, uh, the 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 uh, patience, time, whatever it is. Conscience equals flesh. Um, you're right. This is a whole bunch of genres. Into one. So even when you do find out the ending, which is they've created James Dell badge out of nothing and given him memory and given him the saddest memory you can possibly give someone. I mean, that is kind of the meanest thing about this, is that they gave him those memories, um, and just the guilt that this new creature has. You still don't actually understand what this is. Um, and I think it's it's so fascinating.
1: Yeah, and uh and Amanda says that the empty man can only come through feelings of grief and loss and pain. And that's why they had to give him that. Yeah. So sad. It's so, so let's see sad. What else? What else do they say about the empty man? They say, I like something the cop says. He says that what happens, what's happened to these people is inexplicable. It's too yeah. big. We can't indict the cosmos. And uh, there's a guy who says that the empty man is the between man. Um something just between realities
0: that it's comes up a few for, times yeah
1: yeah it's something that for some reason compels you to kill either kill other people or kill yourself and that i don't know why the empty man wants that
0: no that is never explained like when the creepiest kills is um I actually really like her performance um uh samantha logan who plays um amanda's friend um her death in the shower is such a well-done thing because it's very long shot. You see her sort of get in. She's already got the because it does have that very similar Slender Man the Ring model is in you blow into the bottle, you got three days, and then you feel, you're know, like you see, you hear, and then you feel. And the feel is usually when the empty man is going to kill you. Um, because I set that up in the amazing short short film at the at the beginning. Um but she kills herself. I mean, that shot of when you see the kind of the ghoulish kind of thing, and then you realize it's actually her holding her thrown throat and stabbing her face with with the scissors is such a really kind of oh, oh shit, this is not thing. And, and yeah, because they are talking about this unknowable, this thing between worlds, this kind of um, this kind of entity that no one can fully understand. It makes this movie something you don't understand. So you're trying to put these pieces Together. Um when I first saw the when I first watched the movie, I was definitely thrown off by the ending because it's got that beguiling feeling to it. I just put something in that I kind of already knew about. And I only know it because freaking worked in a bookstore far too long and I have sold The Secret, um, which is don't read. Um for far too sorry if you do. Sorry if it's your thing, but it's not mine. <laughs> um <laughs>
1: Didn't Katie Holmes just do like a movie adaption of that?
0: Yeah, it's just, uh, and I went, did they just fucking the secret this? And I was so angry because that's kind of what I thought that was. Now I know it's not. Now I know it's more Cosmocara. Now I know it's that, that was the first thing there in my head, I went, they fucking woodward this shit? No, <laughs> that's not cool. Um, and then I actually, because I couldn't get it out of my head, I started actually reading what a topo was. And um, yes, like James, I went on Wikipedia and put in like, um which by the way wikipedia is the new microfiche um but <laughs> <that's>
1: true. <laughs>
0: it's true um but yeah and then i actually learned what it was and it's much more of a um mythical creature than it is something that people picked up for the wellness industry it's much deeper it's much darker it's got much more history behind it and I went, okay this is much more interesting than i gave it credit for so it's interesting how people have taken that ending to go a what the or a Ah, huh. no, it's the, I know the ending through a few people.
1: <laughs> and something I like about this movie is that the empty man is definitively real. Like yes. there are a lot of cult movies where the horror is what the cult does. And is the pagan God that they worship real? Is it not? Is Satan real? Is he not? It doesn't really matter because the horror is what the cult does. Yeah. But in this movie, the empty man is definitely real He takes a physical form, at least in your perception of this hooded figure. It's an amazing visual, by the way.
0: You never quite see him. Yeah,
1: in the opening, when he's standing in the snow. Oh. Super, super creepy. Mm. So he takes a physical form, at least in your perception. I don't think he's actually physically there. No. But he is real. He's an actual thing. And, And it's... I love that it's very and it's because it's something that we can't understand it's not like we find out that the devil is here um, which we all have our own um, idea of the devil Mm. and we get it Uh, the empty man is not like that we don't get it he is a thing then some kind of reality some kind of dimension and he is killing people or compelling people to kill themselves or kill each other it's very very scary I love
0: it. Yeah, especially because I love the bridge scene when Samantha first blows into the bottle. And watching it now, I'm like, oh, she's fully That's another
1: one of the great horror scenes in this movie is the bridge scene. The
0: bridge scene is so great. I love the beginning of it because it's teenagers hanging out, they're giving each other shit. Um, they're kind of already egging each other on. Like this is a group you can tell that kind of eggs each other on. And then Samantha just comes in and goes, they Did you hear about the empty man thing? And we is just fully playing out as a slender man, as a bye-bye man. a candy man you say his name five times and he comes up which is a lot of how and i am not just in the candy man like love it um but it's that kind of um play and then watching this i'm like oh she's trying to get them to blow into the bottle so she's either because i'm always a little thing of what the actual timeline is and this is beforehand is she testing out the empty man kind of thing of what he can actually do or is she just like, ah, oh, screw these fuckers. I'm just going to kill them um, by getting them to invoke um, the empty man. And I love how you never know what her motivation is. But watching this time, I'm like, oh, I can clearly see her manipulating these guys to blow into the bottle and to think of it. And then she does it. And because she's in the cult, she's mastered it. Oh, she knows how to control them or control it. And I don't know. There's so many questions I have. <laughs>
1: Do you know what the cult wants from the empty man?
0: No, I have no idea. I was trying to figure this out because what is the cult's game plan? It's like the Cold of Thorn. I still have no idea what the end game is, but they know of this God. They want to worship him. They realize he has power, but I don't know what their end game is. It kind of feels like they're still trying to figure him out or figure it out. Like there's no, um, it's like in uh, Glorious how um, Ryan Quater Qua- I can never pronounce his name um, is trying to figure out what this uh, entity, this voice wants in the bathroom, and it takes a process of figuring it out. You never get to that point in in Empty Man. You just know there's a cult. They are using him in some, using the entity in some way, but you don't know why, and that's terrifying.
1: Yeah. And that's usually where horror is most able to generate scares Mm. is in presenting the unknown to you. And then the more that unknown becomes a subgenre, the less scary it is. And we especially we horror fans still enjoy it, but it's not the unknown anymore. Like I think The Exorcist showed you devil possession when we had never seen devil possession before. We'd heard of it. We've never seen it. Mm. And it shows you that. So it's presenting something new to you. Um, and there's very little in horror that is new anymore. Uh, we've tread a lot of ground and I love it, but it's it's not as scary anymore. But The Empty Man does feel like something new, something that we can't understand. And I think that's one of the reasons that it's one of the creepiest movies I've seen re- in recent years.
0: Yeah, even the scene when, and because you still don't know quite what it is, because I was sort of asking you, um, the timeline of this movie is foggy because is James's interactions with Nora a memory you're seeing or is it something he thinks is happening?
1: Gosh, uh, that's a really good question.
0: And I don't know.
1: <laughs> I don't know either. And to be honest, I didn't actually think about it until you said it. Like, what is Nora? Is Nora, I don't, I one thing that I want to rule out right now is I don't think she's a member of the cult playing along. No. I don't think that's the case. I think it's too real. Um, so she's either all in his head and just a memory. Well, she can't just be a memory because he's he exists now and he's interacting with her along the process of this investigation. Yes. So either she's just in his head or maybe she's been conjured up by them too, maybe accidentally, like mm. she's become too real in his consciousness that she has also sprung forth. That, I'm not sure.
0: That could be something because- I, those scenes between them are very real. They feel very, yeah. very real. And I know the whole point is he's meant to have these memories that are so horrific, they just stay with him. The fact that he, his wife and son died in a car accident while he was with Nora having an affair is the certain sort of steps of thing that you realize, oh, if I had just done this, this or this, this would never have happened. Um, and the tragedy is it's always going to happen because it, you are, um, this is implanted in you. And those scenes between them feel so real, so concrete and so emotional that when you find, when that phone call and she goes, I don't know who you are, it's 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 probably one of the most gut-wrenching parts of the movie. Cause I'm just like, no, you, you, I want you to kiss. You can feel each other. Um, it's, it's very, it's a gut punch to the movie. And it's, I think when he kind of realizes, oh, I don't know what reality is. And then you start questioning, okay, so what is actually the reality of this movie? And the fact that David Pryor never lets you into what the reality is, except for maybe very non-lucid moments, is is amazing.
1: Yeah. And it's we keep coming back around to the fact that it's really cool that this movie is hard to figure out because yeah. it just kind of calls you back to it to think about it more and more. I love the scenes with James and Nora. They're so tragic and so real. I love the moment when she says to him, don't you think we've punished each other enough? We punished ourselves enough? Or do you think we're done punishing ourselves now? Yeah. Something like that. It's so sad. It does make sense though, <laughs> that when you know that the affair is, isn't real and it's in his head, because I feel like it's weirdly sexy because it's a very tragic thing that he's having an affair while his family is dying, mm. but it's actually shot in a very sexy way, and she's in this sexy lingerie. And you would just think that an affair like this would be messier, you know? But yes. it didn't really happen. It's all in the fantasy of a man, so it yeah. kind of makes sense.
0: Or the fantasy of a teenage girl implanting it in a man. Which or is, that, yeah, yeah, it's the when Amanda sort of goes, "Oh, you didn't think I didn't know about the affair you had with my mother." But I'm the one who did it. It's a very cold sentiment and a very kind of um, a really cool, cruel way to pull the rug from out of him. I, 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 I don't know. Yeah, this this movie is. I keep using the word beguiling because it is. It gives you just enough information for you to want more, but then at the same time, it's going to go no, sorry, you're going to have to figure out the rest. And you're like, but I don't have the information to figure out the rest. Well, what, what is happening? <laughs> but I've got this astounding image of him putting her, un, un, zipping the dress and him putting her hand on her, him, the hand on her back under the dress. And that is such a sexy moment for some reason that, yeah, a relationship like that would be way messier and way more complicated and a lot more in the dark than that absolutely romantic scene. Yeah, you're right
1: yeah, it's like the fantasy version of that, but it is a fantasy. It is so it makes sense.
0: It makes yeah, it makes complete sense. It is a complete fantasy. Um, yeah, this movie is keeps doing this over and over again. And yeah, even with the Stephen roots uh coming up and went, oh, of course, get out would make it get out's kind of doing a similar thing as in, but it's from the guy coming in and realizing, oh shit, I'm in the middle of a cult, and they're all looking at me like, I'm the next prize kind of like the wicker man when he's walking in and going why is everyone staring at me like I'm a weirdo that's the same thing though there's much more different context of what's happening in get out and what I love about the empty man it's kind of told from the pers- kind of perspective as well Someone who's walked into a cult and gone why is everyone looking at me but he is the cult or he is um a manifest manifestation and that it kind of pulls that trope out from under you as well. It's really smart. (laughs) Now more I think about it.
1: So let me ask this. Now Mm. that he knows what he is, he Mm. is their empty man, as Amanda says. Yeah. What now?
0: I, hmm. Cause all you really see. Yeah. I don't know. What does the empty man do? Essentially. He's a conduit for this thing. And it goes back to the question, what does the cult want? (laughs) It's, Which, I don't know, because all you see is that he kills the other poor guy and now is standing in front of these people who are now, much like Hereditary, bowing in front of him. And he, like, now what? It's like, it's actually like the end of Hereditary, because I don't know what happens after that end either. It's like, what what does the cult do now that they have the thing that they want?
1: Yeah, I was really struck with that on this last watch Mm because the first time I watched it, I was just like, wow, that's really creepy. Uh, But this time I was really kind of stuck on the story and like, where do we go now? The only thing I can think is like, I think it kind of invokes the feeling of like the end of one of John Carpenter's films in the Apocalypse Trilogy that like we're probably just on the brink of the end of the world, something like that.
0: Uh, Like the thing, are we just going to sit here and wait a while? Yeah. Yeah. The
1: Prince of Darkness. Yes.
0: Yeah, the end of the yeah, the end of the world is coming and this is where it begins. It's like, yeah, it begins at the it ends at the beginning. I think yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it because the whatever the empty man is or whatever that specter is, it has a lot of power. I mean, yeah. it can make people kill themselves. I mean that scene with all the kids underneath the bridge. Oh, that's um
1: oh, so scary. So yeah. scary.
0: Um it has wielded a lot of power and now it's essentially okay what do these kids want to do with it and what does steven root want to do with it and you don't know because all they've been doing is speaking in this weird cult double speak that you don't actually know what they're saying it's uh at one of the film festivals i went to they i watched this documentary about scientology but it was kind of interviewing people who were still in scientology and oh wow it so many dead eyes like it is but they say the exact same thing all the time it's like they're reading off a script this is kind of like that and they speak but they're speaking in a way that you just don't understand because they've got their own lingo their own kind of slang their own everything and this is this cult and you just got going I still don't know what you're saying I know you're telling me something that you think is very important I just can't see through the double speak um and politicians do this all the time cult leaders because i have this weird fascination with cults i blame netflix um because they keep putting documentaries on about well they don't so much to now
1: yeah, well, it's a very interesting subject
0: yeah about one how it's so easy to get involved in one how people essentially manipulate you um and how they use things like s- certain innocuous things to, and then all of a sudden you now are knee deep and now you are now bowing to a tulpa that you created that houses a ancient god that I have that is I don't know if it's benevolent or if it's just pure evil and you think you know but I it keeps that cult barrow wall up like most cults you do get into you learn their lingo you learn how it works like the wicked man time you see the wicked man you're like oh I understand what's happening now I don't know if these pagan gods are real, but I know they think it's real and they are now going to kill this man. And now I, and I understand their thinking completely. I don't understand their thinking in this movie. David Pryor does not let you in that far um, because you are from a man's point of view who does not understand what is happening. And even when it happens, he still doesn't understand. (laughs) So it's um, yeah, it is really about the unknowable. That is what this movie is about. I think.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, can I make another declaration? Yes. It's going to be controversial. Ooh. So this movie gets compared to David Fincher a lot um, because the uh, the director, David Pryor, he worked on a lot of David Fincher documentaries about mm. the making of his movies. So he really learned right alongside, uh, alongside David Fincher. Yeah. I like this movie better than I like any David Fincher movie.
0: Ooh, that is going to be controversial. Um, I, I, mm. I would agree with it mostly, except for Zodiac.
1: I uh. I don't really love David Fincher. Yeah. I like some of his movies. I respect him. I've, he's never been one of my guys. I've never really connected with him. But I kind of feel like this movie takes the David Fincher aesthetic. And um, I don't know. I, I just think it's like a more interesting story than any David Fincher movies I've seen.
0: Yes, that's what I would say. Like, I think we're talking enough, Mike, how we love his We like his trashier movies like Gone Girl or even I really like um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. <laughs> it's um, when he sort of takes a trashy material and kind of puts that fincher sheen on it. But in the last few years, I have found things like, especially Fight Club and Seven, I have found less interesting as I get older. Um, yeah,
1: I've never liked Fight Club. I just don't. I've seen it like three times trying to like it and I I just can't vibe with it. I think it's so aesthetically gross. Like it's just such a gross movie.
0: Same with Seven, actually. It's, um, yeah. it's yeah, they're so kind of gross. And I think I liked it when I was a teenager because I thought I was meant to like it. You know, when you're like 17 and everyone's telling you that Fight Club is amazing. So you go watch Fight Club and go, yeah, it's amazing. And then five minutes later, you're like going, Is it? Um, And even though there are moments in Seven that I love, I'm just not as, yeah, because you're right, because it's so disgusting. It feels like there's mold everywhere. Um, And I, yeah, I think Zodiac, I think this is one of his kind of special movies where I think he did something absolutely amazing on it because he kind of did the unsame, knowable thing. You're never going to know who the Zodiac killer is. And this is just about the people left with the obsession. The Empty Man yes kind of takes the sort of that very clean technique that fincher has but i think he is taking that unknowableness to the nth degree he's like well okay so we don't know and i don't think it's a direct comparison because i think he is his own filmmaker in the way that he frames shots and does everything like that but he's taking this unknowable idea and just taking it to the nth degree and i love when filmmakers take like in a curse of michael myers they take an idea and they just take it to the nth degree okay so this is the idea and they just go how far can we push this? And Empty Man, the, he pushes it really, really a long way. I mean, the fact that this movie feels like it should be nearly two and a half hours, and that feels correct for a movie that is very slowly paced, that is about the unknowable, that keeps your attention this long, I think is an inc- is incredible feat. And I did read that um, Fox did try to cut it down to 90 minutes and then it tested worse. (laughs) It's like, no, you can't. There is no way you can just push these things together and not have the space to let them breathe.
1: Yeah, that's a really funny story because it's the movie got like historically dumped, like dumped worse than almost any movie has ever been dumped in history. Yeah, But the Fox merger and the pandemic and all the factors that went into it being dumped also meant that it didn't really get messed with like it would have if it was to get if it came out during a normal time where the studio was in good shape and it was going to a wide theatrical release they definitely would have tampered with this a lot more but i think there was just like a fuck it we don't care just put this thing out you know
0: yeah and that i think it actually has become one of the cults recent cult movies that i can think of in the sense that something that is dumped something that is forgotten something that was kind of dismissed because you hit you I mean the title itself just invokes the slender man and the bye-bye man and anyone who's watched horror in the late 2000 two th- teens it's just like oh I know what this is going and then you watch that first scene, and you're like okay so what is this um and because of that it got insane word of mouth it's all you'd hear no just go support the empty man you need to go see the empty man this movie needs to be supported because it is really really good and it is. And um, every time I say on Twitter, I'm watching The Empty Man, you just goes, oh, that's an amazing movie. Best horror in the, of the 2020s. By the way, it's only been two years. <laughs> we've got a long way to go. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. got that kind of feeling toward it that it does have this weird cult surrounding it. And I think it's because you never quite figure out this movie when you're watching it. You are going to have to watch it multiple times. It's like in that way.
1: Yeah. And I hope it's cult grows because right yeah. now it has no physical release whatsoever. Nope. I just read, it's been announced. HBO max is dropping it on September mm. 30th, which means by the time this episode posts, it will be gone from HBO max. So hopefully it still stays on like voodoo and Amazon prime for rental or purchase. Cause yeah. it is there right now. So at least it can be seen that way, but it's, the ways to see this movie are shrinking. They're not growing, and that's kind of scary.
0: That is scary, because this is the kind of movie that needs to have a rep house play this once a year. Like, okay, we're showing The Empty Man. Come and see it. Um, It needs to get that kind of following, and because we don't watch three channels anymore, we're not going to see it all the time, or or we don't have the HBO old model where they would play Beastmaster 600 times. We don't have that model anymore, so the fact that... um, it is ways you can see this drinking. It is actually on Disney Plus overseas. So hopefully that means Disney will put it on in this. Like Disney Plus. <laughs> overseas
1: Disney Plus is insane. And I only it learned is. about it because of you. It's so funny.
0: I know. It's just like when I was just normal Disney Plus. And then they said, oh, we're adding this star thing. Um, and you can pay an extra bit of money and you can watch the Predator. I'm like, watch the Predator on Disney Plus. Yes, please. And now American
1: Disney Plus is like, we have to edit a butt <laughs> out of Splash because it's too dirty. <laughs>
0: yeah i did watch uh and babysitting and the, the, everyone's calling her that train scene they're calling her a witch i'm like i know that's not what they called her i mean <laughs> i haven't seen this movie before but i know that's not what they, they did not call her a witch um but yeah there's so there's two sort of versions but you do have this other version which has everything fox had and fox made some messed up stuff and it's amazing
1: <laughs> oh fox was great like r.i.p it's so I sad to go
0: and so sad they're gone, except when they just want to remind you, oh, this is Fox Studios. It's like, no, it's 20th century Fox Studios or 21st. Don't don't give me that. Um, but yeah, this movie was just dumped and I think it was meant to be, okay, we'll just make as much money off for it and then it'll get forgotten. And I'm kind of glad that it isn't. So hopefully that means a repertory theater will pick it up. That means I hopefully someone will just buy the rise to it and go, hey, we're putting out a fancy Blu-ray of this, of the, of the empty man because as soon as say Scream factory does it that's when it gets it, they seem when they seem to do that they um it seems to go big as soon as i started putting oh, out yeah. hammer horror they're like oh, people are talking about hammer horror i'm like no one the only person i knew who talked about hammer horror was daniel <laughs> and he started a <laughs> podcast so we could talk about hammer horror um but then they yeah so it's kind of putting it out there, even though it's a very niche market, still gets people talking about it. And yeah, people need to talk about the empty man more and yeah, come on. We need a physical release. We, this is, this is no, we need something.
1: Yes, people need to talk about the empty man, watch the empty man, go to a bridge at night, blow into a bottle and think about the empty man, do yes. all of these things.
0: I will admit, when they sort of talk about how to summon it, it did feel very long-winded. Like usually with say, <laughs> Yeah, it's um, kind of
1: overly complicated.
0: Definitely <laughs> totally complicated. Like with the candy man, you say candyman five times with the um ring, you watch a video. Um, with this, is you have to go to a bridge, find an empty bottle, blow in it then think about the empty mat. it seems like a very long process to get this thing kind of going um though actually- well, like i'm not
1: blowing into a bottle i found on the ground that's how you get covid <laughs> Exactly.
0: <laughs> this is yeah this is how it all happened people um no it's yeah you'll get covid this uh, this is not a good idea but in saying that then David Pryor directs the shit out of that bridge scene. I'm like, going, yeah, yeah, that, that is exactly what would happen, but it takes a long time to explain.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Great, movie. Love Great it. movie. I'm so glad we got to talk about it.
0: Yes. Go see it. Um, Rent it. Just let, yeah. Just let the powers that be know that they need to keep this movie around because I would hate if this movie got forgotten. Uh, it is too good for that.
1: Yeah. I would say the three scariest movies that I've seen, in like the twenty tens ish, like my adult life is The Witch, Hereditary, and The Empty Man. I think those are the three.
0: Yeah, I think it's no. I would actually say The Witch as well because The Witch did sh- screw me up a little bit, but then I just got very happy when that with the whole. What do you love to live deliciously? I just like oh, that is the best line ever. Um, yes, yes, name. yeah, yeah, yeah. I then, yeah, it did. But like, yes, I do. Would I would like to live deliciously? Um... No, I think hereditary fucked me up because I definitely walked around the house to see if um Tony Collette wasn't like hanging upside down from the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> and now I don't, now I just look at bridges and bottles like very differently from this movie. Um yeah, anything else you want to say about The Empty Man?
1: Nope, I'm good. I love doing this episode and thank you very much for having
0: me. No, thank you so much for coming on with this with this double. I know this was I think the first movie uh, Halloween movie I pitched because I was like, "Hang, I hang on. Curse of, Curse of Michael Myers and Empty Man, that would go great. And then the series kind of sprang up. So thank you for saying yes to come on and do it, and do this.
1: Oh, absolutely. You really catered to my taste when you asked for this.
0: <laughs> I'm so, so glad. Um, please tell people where they can find your good work.
1: You can find the Cobwebs podcast on any podcast app. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CobwebsPod. You can uh, find me personally on Twitter at EplerDaniel. And I counted recently, I think this is my 10th schlock in awe. So thank you very much for having me 10 times.
0: Oh, wow. Well, I cannot wait to have you 10 on ten times more as well. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> thank, thank you. For, thank you VC. keep saying yes to coming on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I will. I will always say yes. I love coming on here.
0: That's fantastic. Um, thank you so much for listening to um Shlock and awe. Um, yeah, thank you again, and we will be back with uh, another Michael Myers double. All right, thanks, guys. Bye.